No racial group in America is more out of line with God's natural order than black people. 70% of our kids are born to unwed mothers. We don't view family as a necessity for success. It's just one of many options. It's prioritized well below allegiance to racial idolatry, the Democrat political party, and hip hop culture. Those allegiances have made us hostile to a biblical worldview, indifferent toward marriage, and convinced there's little value in male leadership. Scripture is the kryptonite that weakens us rather than the cape we wrap ourselves in to unleash superpowers. Yeah, baby mama culture explains the Tyree Nichols tragedy. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday to you and yours. We made it through the weekend. We have an awesome show planned for you today. I'm not sure how long this show will go. I'm not sure how long I'll go with this fire starter. I do know that I plan to get to Royce White, Shamika Michelle, Steve Kim today. We may also get to Delano Squires, Virgil Walker, and Pastor Anthony Walker today, or this may be two separate shows, uh, one with a more secular reaction to the controversy that I'm embroiled in as it relates to Ty Tyree Nichols, and then a more biblical point of view or reaction to the controversy that, that I'm involved in right now. Perhaps with Steve Kim, we'll touch a little bit today on the football uh, championship games played yesterday, but I can honestly say I can't predict. I know where I'm going to start, and I know where this is where I want this to go. I'm not sure how long it's going to take me to get there. Buckle up. I'm going to explain uh, my entire point of view. When, when we did the show on Friday, I hadn't seen, the country hadn't seen the video of what transpired with uh, Tyree uh, Nichols Friday night that was unveiled. I went on Tucker Carlson's show, had some things to say there, and then got wrapped up in this controversy about one of the three things that I said there. Uh, I've had time to think. I've had time to unpack this. I spent a lot of time uh, this weekend writing down my thoughts. So. <clears throat> Let's get to it. I hope that uh, you enjoy this. I do think it will be interesting and enlightening and will hopefully put what I said on Tucker Carlson in, in context and unpack a conversation we've been needing to have for a long time. So, sorry, I refuse to follow the script. The script for black influencers demanded that the Tyree Nichols tragedy be laid at the feet of so-called white supremacy. Five black cops beat a 150-pound black man to death, and the script called for more mass shaming of white people and insinuations that policing should be outlawed. Had I followed the script, I wouldn't be embroiled in controversy, 
public enemy number one of black Twitter, Sierra, and all the other blue check virtue signalers. In fact, had I dishonestly blamed systemic institutionalized racism for Nichols' death, I would be the toast of Twitter, drowning in retweets, likes, and applause. I would be high as a kite on dopamine and swimming in interview requests. But that's not what I did when I appeared on Tucker Carlson's cable news show Friday night. I didn't lie. I didn't concoct some fantasy narrative where five black cops shouted, this is MAGA country, before attacking Tyree Nichols. I blamed the five cops for their criminal behavior and predicted that a predominantly black jury will find them guilty of second degree murder. I then criticized CNN and other media outlets for hyping the release of the body camera footage like it was Al Capone's secret vault and using the video to distract from America's escalating involvement in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And when surprisingly given an opportunity to provide an additional thought, I argued that the five police officers mimicked gang behavior and that the whole sad event is a byproduct of communities overrun with matriarchal values and controlled by single black mothers. I said that the conversation we should be having in reaction to Tyree Nichols centered on the cost of destroying the black family. That's what I wrote down. That's, that's my paraphrase, having given it a bunch of thought. That's what I tried to convey in the final 60 seconds of an unscripted four minute TV segment. YouTube has now classified my remarks as inappropriate and offensive. I want you to judge for yourself. Let's watch my comments in full here. Uh, everyone's uh, behaving inappropriately, including these five Memphis police officers. This is a, it's an open and shut case. The, the, the camera from above captures the police uh, doing something totally illegal. The second degree murder charges are warranted. This is going to be a revisitation of the Walter Scott, the, the guy that got shot on camera by a cop in the back. Guy went to, he got convicted, went to prison. It's an open and shut case. This is too. I don't get what people are protesting about. Uh, these are five black officers. The victim is black. The police chief is black. The police have been fired and charged, and they will be convicted, I would assume, by a predominantly black jury in a city that's 65% black. So the system is going to work here. What the other system that's working is the corporate media's uh, insistence on promoting racial division at the behest, in my view, of the military industrial complex. They want yeah. us all looking at this and not looking at what they're doing in Ukraine as they drag America and the world into World War III. This is a distraction, in my opinion. CNN hyped this video like they were hyping the Super Bowl. And there's really only 60 seconds of relevant content. You show the police misconduct from overhead as they brutalize this man and make it clear this is an open and shut case and the guys are gonna be convicted and we move on. They treated this like a Super Bowl, enraging people, promoting the violence, and this is the most important story in the history of the planet. It's not. What's going on in Ukraine and our military involvement in Ukraine, that's the most important story going on in the world, but yes, they don't right. want you focused on that.
That is such a good point. And you would, th- I mean, you've been in the news business all your life, you know, 35 years or something. I felt guilty putting that video on the screen, not because I was on anyone's side. I felt, I felt obviously bad about it. It was horrible. But because you don't want to put ugly things on TV and inflame passions. You want people to be reasonable and think things through and reach wise decisions. Why would news organizations, I mean, they really want to make people enraged, clearly. They don't want us focused on reality. Hey, if they want us to devote an hour of coverage to this and weekend coverage of this, and they want to take us to a good place, I would examine the racial element of this because there is a racial element. And this is a story about young black men and their inability to treat each other in a humane way. Everybody involved in this on the street level was either 24 to 32 years old. Everybody. It was a group of young black men, five on one. Looked like gang violence to me. It, It looked like what young black men do when they're supervised by a single black woman. And that's what they got going on in the Memphis Police Department. They've elected some uh, or put some black woman in charge of the police force. And we're getting the same kind of chaos and disunity and violence that we see in a lot of these cities that are run by single mothers. If we want to discuss the breakdown of family that leads to disrespect for authority that causes you to resist the police and run from the police and not comply with the police because you resist authority at all time because there was no male authority in your home. Let's have that discussion. But that's not where they want to take us. They want to take us down the path of saying, you know what? This is Tucker Carlson's fault. This is some random white. This is Donald Trump's fault. It's not. It's the breakdown of family and the buying in to all these left wing things that have nothing to do with promoting family. That is the first time I've rewatched that clip. Everything that I said previously was based off memory, because, again, a lot of times you go on these shows and you just start talking and you don't know where the conversation will go. You don't know what the questions are. And. Literally, when I left, when I got up out of that chair and left the studio, I didn't think I had said anything remotely controversial. I certainly didn't say anything that we don't talk about on this show constantly. That is my brain. That, that is what I spend all of my time talking about. Hey, are we out of line here? Is our family destruction... Is that causing all of these pathologies that are hurting us? The only thing I would take back, and again, I'm just talking in the moment, I wasn't even expecting to get a second cut, a second bite at the apple to say anything. The only, the only thing I, I, I would t- change a bit, a tiny bit, is, is creating the impression that I was talking about Sherilyn Davis, the police chief, as if she was some single mama. I, I was trying to make a bigger, broader, point about unparented young black men in these inner cities and America thinking, hey, let's put some black woman in charge. She's going to correct it. That's what we have going on in all of these major urban cities where uh, the, the illegitimacy rate, the marriage rate, the illegitimacy rates at an astronomical high and the marriage rate is at an astronomical low. And women are in charge. We've fallen in love with the matriarchy. And it's created the kind of chaos that where black men are at each other's throats at every opportunity. So it's impossible 
to analyze the situation as complex as Tyree Nichols' tragedy in four minutes. What you try to do is spark a deeper conversation by saying something that will cut through all the garbage being spewed on social media and or promoted on ratings-hungry television networks. So I'm gonna restate, my first comment was said to establish that a black police chief, black police officers, and black citizens would be in charge of providing justice for Tyree Nichols' family. What happened in Nichols isn't about white supremacy, and what will happen to his alleged killers won't have anything to do with white supremacy either. My second comment was stated to point out that the media is intentionally overemphasizing the importance of the Nichols tragedy. Our politicians are pushing us towards nuclear conflict with Russia. Millions of lives are at stake. I'm not trying to diminish the value of Tyree's life, but in comparison to a nuclear conflict, his life pales in comparison. I'm sorry, that's fact. Tyree Nichols is a local story, not a national one. It's being used to provide cover for more important international tragedies, such as including Big Pharma's COVID malfeasance. The TV networks dependent on the advertising dollars of pharmaceutical companies prefer Don Lemon talking about lawless cops rather than lawless and exploitive international corporations. And then finally, my third comment, the one my critics have seized upon, is an attempt to spark a conversation about the real ramifications of America's growing preference for female authority and alternative family structures. The matriarchy, the celebrated matriarchy, it does not work, and we need to talk about that. Black urban areas are dominated by matriarchal rulership. It's an utter failure and disaster. These areas all operate similar to Memphis. Crime is astronomical. Young men settle their differences with deadly violence. Academic performance hovers at record lows. Illegitimacy rates skyrocket. Tyree Nichols was 29. The five police officers who participated in beating him to death range in age from 24 to 32. The behavior we witness from the officers resembles what happens when a group of vice lords, for those of you not hood knowledgeable, vice lords are a street gang popular in the Midwest and in some areas of the South. That's what happens when a group of vice lords catch a gangster disciple if you're not hood knowledgeable, gangster disciples, very popular in Chicago and throughout the Midwest and other areas in the South. That's what happens when a disciple's called on vice lord turf. The disciple will flee, the vice lords will chase, violence ensues. My point is, what we saw Friday night does not appear to be an outgrowth of bad policing. I'm gonna explain don't lose your mind. What we saw, what we saw, anybody with any street sense, any savvy, any common sense, any objective sense, anybody not caught up in racial idolatry, anybody that understands what's been going on, that was not bad policing. That was gang violence. We have yet to see video evidence that depicts what caused the traffic stop? 
and why Nichols had to be snatched from his car. Again, if you watch the video, the stuff I saw, I watched a whole hour of it on CNN. I didn't see an explanation of, hey, why they pull this dude over? Where's the video of the cops seeing this guy driving crazy in traffic? And if you've listened to Sarahlyn Davis, the, the, the Mrs. police chief, she has said, we don't have evidence or it's been unsubstantiated that Tyree Nichols was driving inappropriately. We can't prove it. We don't have the evidence. It's unsubstantiated. Anybody with a brain, this doesn't, it doesn't feel like we've been shown the complete story. Something about this encounter feels far more personal than anything born of the frustration created by a resistant suspect. The telltale on this, to me, to my eyes, to my 55-year-old eyes, the pepper spray, it just doesn't make sense. This is a 150-pound man, several, four or five police officers trying to restrain him, and they got to resort to pepper spray in the face repeatedly? When have we seen this? This isn't six foot four, 260-pound George Floyd. They never pepper sprayed George Floyd. He was six foot four, 260 pounds and powerful and a, a legitimate threat. They're pepper spraying this little 150 pound guy who's putting up very little resistance. And I can't, I kept looking for, hold on, am I seeing body cam footage of the actual officers that are doing the beating? And it didn't feel like that's what I was seeing. Maybe I just haven't watched enough but I watched an hour's worth of coverage as CNN unpacked this whole thing for an hour on Friday night like they were going into Al Capone's vault. And I kept asking, where's the body cam footage of the actual officers so that I could understand what they're dealing with? I hear voices, I hear shouting, but it seems so dark, and maybe it is th th their body camera, but it seems so dark, I couldn't see anything, and I keep, uh, put your hands down, I keep hearing people scream, put your hands down, I'm like, now they got a 150 pound guy and there's five guys, and they can't get this dude's hands behind his back? Doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up. This feels like, this is what my gut tells me, this feels like an outgrowth of a rotten culture, a culture where black men are canonized and celebrated for handling petty beef and disrespect with lethal violence. That type of emotional violence is commonplace within zip codes dominated by the matriarchy. Tyree Nichols cried out for his mama for a reason. I'm not saying that to belittle Nichols. I'm saying it's a reflection of modern black culture, a culture that inappropriately places women at the top of the food chain. Mama is the ultimate authority and savior. It's not what God intended. He is our savior. He authorized man. He authorized man. Let me say it again. He, and this is for those of you that are believers, which is most of this artist. For those of you that aren't believers, we believe 
And this country was founded upon principles that he, God, authorized man to exercise dominion over the earth. He prescribed family, man, woman, and child as the foundation of order, obedience, and his will. No racial group in America is more out of line with God's natural order than black people. 70% of our kids are born to unwed mothers. We don't view family as a necessity for success. It's just one of many options. It's a buffet, choose whatever you want. It's prioritized well below allegiance to racial idolatry, the Democrat political party, and hip hop culture. Those allegiances have made us hostile to a biblical worldview, indifferent toward marriage, and convinced there's little value in male leadership. Scripture is the kryptonite that weakens us rather than the cape we wrap ourselves in to unleash superpowers. We're out of order. It needs to be discussed. And I don't care if you've been to your church every Sunday the past 20 years. I don't care if you've been there every Wednesday the past 20 years. Much of what you're being told, much of what of what's being dealt with inside that church doesn't take you to God's natural order. It doesn't tell you the truth. It doesn't align you with God's will. These preachers are constantly playing politics. Justin, I want the clip from the woke preacher that uh, this Sunday, here he is standing in the pulpit preaching that woke garbage that is not scripturally sound. And this type of preaching is going on way too often in black churches. It's pervasive. It's pervasive. The racial idolatry, the biblical unsound teachings, the, the, the taking news events and turning the church into a political rally. The racial idolatry that's pervasive. That we're not in the church telling congregants he is the solution. He is our savior. Too many ministers are preaching from the pulpit that if the white man don't love us, nothing can go right. Where's that found in the Bible? Let's play the clip. Got saw this this morning from woke preachers. I knew what people was going to do on Sunday. Couldn't wait to get in there from the pulpit and talk about their white gods and what the white gods need to do for black people before black people can love themselves. Let's play the clip. As we lift the name of our brother Tyree Nichols from Memphis, who though killed at the hands of black men was killed by a system of white racial supremacy, which devalues black life to the point that we don't value it in one another. Can I? Let's, let's be clear. Racism is bigger, especially on an institutional and structural level than black and white. Racism is a system. And when you are in a system, you can do the system's bidding, whether you look like 
the dominant culture or not. That is why we have violence in our communities. That's why we have all sorts of situations where we devalue black life because it is a system at work. And when you do a good system, you do know that it can work on its So let's not allow people to change the narrative. And let's continue to keep the main thing, the main thing. Until America deals with structural and institutional racism, which is in the fabric of every structure and system of this nation, we're going to continue to see it manifested in all sorts of places and spaces. Indeed, I must say it, it has to be said, this nation must confess and repent of its original sin. Which has been the disposable use of non-European bodies starting with the indigenous people of this land and very soon thereafter, our ancestors. So this guy is basically saying, until America confesses and repents, starting with the indigenous people, and he's going through all this history and blah, he's talking to his kind, hey, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to confess and repent. America has to confess and repent. God can't save you. This system that the white man has devised is so powerful. It's so much more powerful than Jesus that there's nothing you can do until this white man and his government confess and repent and beg you for forgiveness and deal with things that this minister and nobody in his congregation have dealt with until they go all the way back and confess for what they did 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years, what they did to Emmett Till. This is not biblically sound. And too many people are being fed this garbage in the church. What that man should have got up and talked about is Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. These churches, if they really have an interest in fixing our problems, they should dang near turn every Sunday into a conversation about the importance of marriage. Every conversation about the rebuilding of family structure. Ephesians chapter five, verses 20 through 24. Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's not me sitting up in here trying to tell you, uh, you know, women just submit randomly to any man. The Bible's not telling you that. The Bible is telling you, and again, I'm convicted of this too. I'm unmarried. I had all the wrong values for a long time. And I prioritized financial success and freedom to run, rip and run and do whatever I wanted to do ahead of 
committing to a wife and a family. I've made these mistakes. I'm not throwing these rocks without acknowledging these rocks hit me as well. But that's family and the rebuilding of the family structure. That is priority number one for black people if we want to stop the insanity and chaos going on in our communities. So what happens in communities without a culture of marriage and nuclear family? Let's go to one of my favorite ministers, Tony Evans. He wrote a book, Kingdom Politics. He spelled it all out, all of it out. I suggest everybody read this book. But he talked about the family and the importance of family and what happens when family isn't a priority. Let's go to the book, what he wrote, one of the best ministers in America today, in my opinion, particularly on this topic and this subject. The saga of a nation is the saga of its families written large. Whoever owns the family owns the future. When family structure breaks down, all manner of calamity and chaos enter into society. When family breaks down, crime goes up, poverty goes up, abuse goes up. When the family breaks down, gender confusion and role confusion go up. Let me summarize what he just said. Calamity, chaos, and confusion. You don't even need to be a Christian minister to recognize what's going on in black communities with no consistent family structure. Here's a video of not a minister. It's Jay-Z, a rapper in 2019, explaining the connection between police brutality and single motherhood. You don't like Tony Evans? Let's hear it from Jay-Z. You think about the idea of uh, growing up in a single parent house, which I grew up in, which you grew up in, and having an adverse feeling for authority, right? Your father's gone, so you like, I hate my dad. Well, nobody tell me what to do. I'm the man in the house. And then you hit the street and you run into a police officer. And his first thing is put your hands up, freeze, shut up. And you're like, excuse my language, everybody. You're like, fuck you, right? So that, in that interaction causes people to lose lives, right? We don't want people that's uh, in charge of the police uh, areas to be in danger either. We want to be very clear. You know, if someone commits a crime, they should go to jail. But these things are just disproportionate and the whole world knows it, right? And a lot of these issues will, are in place now because they were run on, they like political issues. People run on this and gotten elected to office and there's no disrespect, I don't want, anyone to feel defensive about what I'm saying. I'm just saying the honest truth. And the people that are here today and the politicians that are here today know it's the truth. That's why they're here. And it's a humane issue, right? So if we are broken the family structure in one um, culture, it affects everyone. It affects that police officer who has to go home to their kids. It affects um, you know, people who are raising kids and uh, working really hard and have to pay taxes. And then, you know, we're housing people in jail for incredible amounts of time. And this money is coming from, you know, hardworking people. So it affects everyone in some sort of way. And it's an important issue. I think that for me, 
I mean, I'd be very specific. That and education are the two most important issues for us. That's, that's Jay-Z. Here's a story when Jay-Z said this in 2019 that, that captures all the criticism that Jay-Z got for speaking the truth. You, you can take it from Tony Evans or you can take it from Jay-Z. You don't have to take my word. If you're a believer, take it from Tony Evans. If you're a non-believer, take it from Jay-Z. Everybody's pointing to the same thing. Everybody understands how baby mama culture doesn't just impact the baby mama and that kid. It impacts the entire society. The social media matrix and corporate media are rigged to stop people from discussing the negative outcomes from the annihilation of the black family. The matrix blames white supremacy for everything bad that happens to black people, even when white people are uninvolved. The culture we've adopted is designed to produce bad outcomes. The matriarchy, it doesn't work. My critics say my criticism is off base because Tyree Nichols has a mother and a stepfather and that the city's female police chief, Sherilyn Davis, is married and a mother. My critics ignore the obvious. No one, and this is what Jay-Z was trying to tell y'all, no one survives a rotten culture unscathed. Give you an analogy. A nutritionist will lose his way or suffer collateral damage if he's forced to set up business inside a fast food restaurant. The pervasiveness of baby mama culture harms everyone, including the non-participants forced to operate within it. The chaos and dysfunction and dysfunction negatively impact the entire community. Why did Cyril and Davis and the Memphis Police Department implement a scorpion street crimes operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods unit the special task force the five officers worked in they started it in november of 2021 to combat the violent behavior of largely unparented young black men terrorizing memphis these types of units are common in high crime single parent neighborhoods across america Police start gangs to combat gang violence. Young men without fathers in the home are attracted to gangs. Baby mama culture celebrates gang involvement. That's why Snoop Dogg, a proud crip, is such a beloved cultural figure. That's why so many black boys and girls from two-parent households and good neighborhoods think their racial identity is tied to behaving in a criminal or ghetto fashion. Baby mama culture rules black America in the hood and the burbs. So does matriarchal culture. Black men see black women as our leaders, our saviors. I don't. I never will. And I was raised primarily by my divorced mother. My mother was awesome, spectacular. She took me and my brother to church every Sunday. She took a second job and moved us out of the ghetto and into a working class neighborhood. But the truth is I am who I am, good and bad, because of my father. I feared and revered him. He taught me the importance of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, and never accepting a handout. He had no tolerance for excuses. And luckily, 
I grew up in an era when there was far less pressure to conform to a criminal black stereotype. Rappers weren't portrayed as heroes and role models. It wasn't cool to have a baby mama. I was raised to see myself as a leader, a protector, and a provider. The left frames men like me, regardless of color, as a misogynist oppressor. Popular culture promotes the woman king, especially to black people. They ignore the failing results of matriarchal rulership and send women like Sarah Lynn Davis to fix problems only strong, bold male leadership can solve. It's going to take male leadership in the home, in the church, and in law enforcement to fix the rotting culture that took Tyree Nichols's life. That same leadership is required throughout American society. Baby mama culture is being pushed within all facets of American society. Illegitimacy rates are rising among all racial demographics. Christian male leadership has been demonized to placate the feelings and promote the values of the BLM LGBTQ alphabet mafia. Your children's neighborhoods will have far more in common with Memphis than Mayberry. That's my fire. I, I there's plenty more that I have to say and will say. I, I, I want to broaden the conversation and, and let Royce and Shamika and others uh, participate in this conversation because it's, it's, it's not just me. I, I want to throw this out there to uh, my critics, particularly my blue check critics, Sierra, whoever. I don't know a Van Jones, I, but I, I've seen a lot of these people have a lot to say over social media. I've seen people in the shade room and on Instagram and everywhere. They got a lot to say. I would love for one of them to agree to come on this show and have this discussion with me. To, I, I, I want them to explain to me and defend their position, oh yeah, five cops, pick out, target in my opinion. This thing with Tyree Nichols looks premeditated and personal. I want someone to explain to me how this isn't a reflection of what's going on in urban areas across all of America. You wanna blame the policing system and, and I get why Ben Crump and everybody wants to blame the policing system. That's where the money's going to come from. That's blame the police department, blame the city. That, that's going to get you the biggest check. I haven't seen anything to me. The videos that I've seen. I haven't seen anything to me that says, oh, this is policing gone wrong. This is five idiots allowed onto the police force because of diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is a, a, a new police chief. Yeah, I'm gonna clean up crime. I'm gonna start a Scorpion gang union, unit to fight the gangs in Memphis. And I'm not even blaming her for that. 
because policing unparented children in mass in these major cities has to be one of the most difficult jobs in all of the world. And to do that in this environment where policing has been denigrated, where police, where police, if they make any mistake, it can cost them their freedom and potentially their lives. We put her in a bad position. We put the city in a bad position. We put Tyree Nichols in a bad position. He shouldn't be vulnerable to a gang unit that gets to wear blue. And, and I hear, well, it's the whole police and they're all a gang. No, that's some BS. Police aren't doing what these five guys did. That was personal. They snatched that young man up out of the car in a very violent way. They're, from what we've been shown, no justification for it. The, 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 the justification is he was driving poorly in traffic for grabbing and snatching this man up out of the car the way they did. That was personal. This wasn't about public safety. A lot of these, uh, this, this is so much, so different from the George Floyd situation. That they police were called there. George Floyd passing bad checks. They're trying to engage with him. He's high. It just spun out of control. That was organic. I haven't seen anything as it relates to this that looks organic to me. This looks premeditated and personal to me. This is what happens when standards get lowered and when uh, you start trying to fix a problem that's virtually unfixable unless there is a commitment to restoring the family. You can't fix the problem of police. You can hold all the meetings you want and you got to be more sensitive and we just need more black officers. We just need more women. We just need more X, Y, and Z. We need more families. Mama and daddy together have to be law enforcement. If that is not the case, you're going to have the kind of chaos we see in Memphis. And it doesn't matter what color the cops are. It's always going to spin out of control. Always. It, it, it's, it's, you got ministers telling you that, you got rappers telling you that, but we got preachers sitting in pulpits that want to tell you, well, it's, it's from slavery 150 years ago. And until we resolve slavery from 150 years ago, there's nothing we can do about it. It's a joke. And, and I'm the one catching criticism for saying, hey, this is about the family. This is about a matriarchal culture. I'm the crazy person. The people tweeting out and saying that, oh no, this is about white supremacy. They're saying. They're celebrated, but I'm crazy.
That's how crazy this thing is. That's how dishonest this whole thing is. This system, and, and Royce and I will get into it here in a second, but this system is designed to obliterate the black man and man in general. I hate to even put a race on it. The system that, that's going on right now is about the destruction of male leadership. And all the leverage in a relationship has been thrown to one side, women. And black women have run wild with it. And I don't care if that pisses you off, but that's the reality. They've run wild with it. They've taken that leverage. I don't need no man. I'll have his baby. And then I will hold that baby over his head like a gun. And I will manipulate this system and manipulate that man and emasculate that man and undermine all of his authority, his God given authority to exercise dominion over the earth. I will use all this system that we've constructed to emasculate that man and make him submit to my will. That's what's going on in mass in black communities and it's starting to sweep the rest of the country and, and, and other demographics just as bad. It's all headed to you. We're just the lab rats. You can be mad at me if you want, but these, these are all facts. And I'm sorry your minister won't address it. It's much easier for him to talk about racial this or racial that. It's easy for him to lean into racial idolatry because that's what you want to hear. You want to live in denial. I lived in that denial. Denial of all of it, it's a mistake. Denial does not stop this. It does not improve things. It just takes you deeper and deeper into the chaos, the calamity, and the confusion. You're running around, you're wondering why our kids run wild. You wonder why our kids are confused gender-wise. It's this sick culture. All right. <clears throat> this is why you need to come kick it with us, come hang with us in Nashville, April 15th, the roll call event. We're going to talk about the responsibility of males, of men, of male leadership. What is a man? What it is we're supposed to be doing? Going to try to inspire you to stand in the pocket and stand up as real men and fight this sick culture that is impacting all of us. This is not a black and white thing. Go look at the divorce rate. Go look at the illegitimacy rate of white folks. It's climbing quickly. Go look at men getting emasculated out of uh, getting run out of jobs and emasculated in the workforce and taken out of leadership positions all throughout corporate America. This has gone too far. It's created an insanity that men need to stand up and, and deal with the bullets that come with it from saying, no, 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 no. We're supposed to be leaders. Not supposed to be abusive to women, not supposed to take advantage of our leadership position, but we're supposed to be leaders. And if we don't step up and play that role, it's going to be Memphis everywhere. Memphis and Mayberry. For those of you that are too young, Mayberry is where Andy Griffith, Mayberry, North Carolina, that's where the Andy Griffith TV show 
the fictional or the place where I think there is a Mayberry, North Carolina, but it was a fictional place in the Andy Griffith TV show. Mayberry is going to look like Memphis sooner than you think. Your kids will be living in Memphis if you don't man up and do something about it. Come join the April Fifteenth Voice White Next. Atheists, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? And you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl? And you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech? You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers.
All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Minneapolis and bring in Morpheus, Royce White, the all-knowing Royce White. Royce, I, 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 Royce called me last night to make sure we were going to talk about this topic, and I was like, of course we're going to talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I got plenty more I need to say. People are trying to take me out of context based on a four-minute TV interview. So, of course, we're going to get to it. Royce, I know you have a lot to say. I'm not going to initially try to steer you a direction. I'm going to let you get in where you fit in. Uh, where do you want to start? Well, I appreciate that. Um, well, first, I want to say, you know, I, I agree with everything you had to say on Tucker. And and I'm not saying that just to kiss your ass. I literally just wrote a Substack piece that that, you know, is like a 3000 word expose that made this this same point by and large. Um, and and it's, it is difficult in a four minute segment in the Tucker format or any TV format to, to lay out a point in its entirety. But but. As in general, I agree with everything you had to say. Um, and, and first, look, let's get this out of the way. What happened to Tyree Nichols, completely unacceptable. It was it was horrifying. It was uh, unjust. It was cowardly. Uh, and, and the list goes on. Uh, you know, we we should never ever see something like that take place and, and we should never allow our government to behave in that way um but and and i've said this before on the show but i'll but i want to reiterate it here what is policing right what is what is being conveyed by what happened to tyree nichols and it, it has no, it's it's not white supremacy it has nothing to do with race it, it has to do with race marginally by and large, what's being conveyed by what happened to Tyree Nichols is if you resist, we will kill you. And, and this is the only place where me, you and I may, may differ a little bit. We're going to differ here. Yeah, absolutely. And that's fine. Now, what I'm, be, let me be clear. I'm not saying that those five cops had it in their mind that we're trying to intimidate the people. Or the citizens. I'm not saying that any cop who has killed any man or any citizen in America unjustly had it in their mind on that day. We're trying to we're trying to convey a message to the people. The net. Let me give you my point. Let me give you my point so that we don't spin off. Okay. I, I want it to be clear on what I'm saying. And, and okay. that to me is five gang members who targeted a premeditated, premeditated attack Fine. on that young man has Fine. nothing to do with policing. That's five no. gang members that targeted somebody for, and I don't know why I don't have the details, but when they started pepper spraying that dude in the face, I was like, this ain't about policing. This is personal. That, that, that looked personal to me. That, that's my take. It doesn't have to be yours, but that's where I'm coming from on this. This isn't about policing. This is five people abusing their power to get some sort of revenge or something on an individual. And that very, very well may be. But but let me let me explain my point. My point is this. The police, regardless of the motivation of individuals on a given day as an institution, as an institution, the net result is the same. 
And we have to be smart enough and nuanced enough to see that. The net result is whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Latino, whether you're Asian, doesn't matter. Whether the cop is black, white, Asian, Latino, doesn't matter. It's not about race. What is being conveyed, the net result of the message conveyed, the, 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 the net positive for a authoritarian system, an increasingly tyrannical and authoritarian system is, if you resist, we will kill you. That's what was being conveyed when they blew Kennedy's head off. It's what was conveyed after 9-11 with the Patriot Act. The police are the lowest rung of the military industrial complex, and they do not care about your race when it comes down to it. That's a byproduct that can be used and spun by by a mainstream media. What I'm saying, and, and when you look at it, it could be George, it doesn't matter. There's many white men who, who fall victim to police violence and police uh, uh, brutality as well. It's it's. It, it, it wouldn't matter if the race of these cops were white. It wouldn't matter if they were all Latino. None of that would matter. All I'm saying is that the net positive, the net result from an incident like this is to convey to people, every everyone all around uh, uh, th- this country, if you resist, we will kill you. And when did this come about? I want people to understand this. And after 9-11, our police... In America, took a dramatic shift, which is why I call them the lowest rung of the military industrial complex. It's not just a euphemism, not it's not just a turn of phrase. They in fact are. And you could argue that they were before 9-11, but after 9-11, they certainly were. Who trained our police after 9-11? Mossad, the IDF, by and large, the Israeli counterterrorism philosophy informed the modern policing post 9-11 by and large that's a fact now some people would call it counterterrorism; others would call it occupation depending on which side of the, the argument you fall on and i don't want to bring us to israel but i i do want to un- help people understand that's why i say it's the lowest rung of the military industrial complex and what are they really trying to do at bottom where's the real sin in policing Where's the real sin of, of us? The pe- same people who you're saying should be accountable? Where is the deal being cut? There's a deal being cut here that people don't want to talk about. This is what it is. There is a calculated and accepted casualty rate of an establishment, a government, uh, 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 an elite, and a populace of citizens that have, you could say, vested interest in moral decay. That's what you're talking about. And the police have been commissioned to clean up and contain all of the outgrowth of that moral decay. We've actually thrown our police under the bus. And some of them individually may be corrupt in their individual spirit and will. But the overall impulse of the whole system is this calculated, accepted casualty rate of a, of a perpetual moral decay. And what they're saying is, as the society grows on top of this moral decay, we know some Tyree Nichols are going to get killed. We know some officers are going to get shot on a routine traffic stop. We know that, uh, you know, what, whatever manner of perversion will take place, it's a calculated risk. And the only thing that we're actually lying to ourselves about is that we didn't sign on the dotted line for that calculated risk. We didn't agree to it. We all agreed to it. Consumerism, rabid consumerism, radical materialism, 
black folks without God, capitalism without God. All of that brings this moral decay and, and, and we signed up for it. But make no mistake about it. As we go over this cliff, the establishment is still going to maintain their control. They're going to make it. They're going to they're going to plant the flag. They're going to draw a hard line and say, if you cross this line on January 6th with Occupy Wall Street after George Floyd with the truckers, uh, uh, with the truckers convoy, uh, with Donald Trump on social media, uh, 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 Kanye West, Kyrie Irving, Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, Minister Louis Farrakhan. If you cross this line, we will take you out. There's a there's a common denominator in the message being conveyed. And, and that's where I wanted to start. And I think you've made an excellent point. But I'm going to have to ask you to back up, because, again, I, I'm very we're all aware the audience, myself, you got big ideas and you see way out and far in, in front of us and it takes some catch up time. And so what, what this is not, this is just me and you having a real conversation in real time and, and no disrespect or no, I'm sure you won't be offended by this, but that idea I can't unpack today because people aren't ready for it. I, I, I can follow where you're going, but, but I want to unpack tomorrow, the next day or whatever, I can get off into the bigger ideas. But people right now can't even fully grasp the smaller ideas that I unpacked. And so I need you to help me do that in terms of what people can handle today is, hey, there's a dynamic. And this is what I want to talk to you about, because I know you have thoughts on it. There's a dynamic going on between the black man and the black woman. Oh, great. Yeah has us in chaos and at odds with each other and yeah. fighting over who's actually going to be the leader. And, yeah. and the argument that I consistently keep having on this show is like, hey, man, it's got to be us. It's the only way that'll work. These women are off in some fantasy land where they think they're going to be the leaders of the black community. And I'm like, hey, let's look at the results. You've been in charge. The government installed you as in charge. Right. They set up a right. system to emasculate us and, and run us out. The, the whole court system as it relates to child custody, as For it sure. relates to divorce, sure. as all of it is slanted in your favor and has made you the woman king. And I'm, <laughs> it doesn't work. These are the results. We, we got po- po- police departments establishing gangs within their ranks to go fight gang members out on the street. And then, so what do gangs do? Illegal things. And they run, they run amok. Uh, and so to, and I'm just speculating in terms of my theory on, on what's gone on here with this young man and these police officers, but I just don't believe this is about policing. I don't think this young man drove inappropriately. I think this cop pulled him over. They started pepper spraying him, no matter what he did. And because to me, one of the things I saw early on in the video is this dude is looking up at them like, what is going on? What did I do? He looks so confused and terrified. He can't figure out where all this hostility is coming from. And so 
I don't think he had any choice but to run. <laughs> he, he, he was he was jumped by a gang. That's what you do. And, and, and I, I think it's all rooted in the chaos within our, if there is no family structure, there will be no order in the community. And the community then is gonna start coming up with solutions that create more disorder. Let's unpack that today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was gonna go there, I got you, don't, don't worry. Cause I know, I, know this, I know this line of country personally. I, I've been in the anti-family court system and I grew up in a community where many of the men in my family have had to be involved in the anti-family court system. So I know this, this personally. But it is tied to a greater political narrative and a political agenda. So if I could, for a brief moment, tie that in. This is what this is the this is the locomotive known as cultural Marxism. This is this is the manifestation of Marxism, what you're talking about. So when you hear the, the right wingers and the conservatives talk about the pernition of Marxism, this is what it is. And, and I'll tell you how Marxism. Marxism is a political and economic ideology that presents itself as a remedy to the unequal distribution of resources and labor. But that's only half the story with Marxism. What Marxism really aims to do, first of all, in its inception, it was anti-God and secular. But what it really aims to do is, is reduce the human existence down to price. Everybody that opts into it has a price. Everything in life has a price, whether it's Sierra, whether it's the other uh, Instagram models who got OnlyFans instead of wanting to work as bank tellers or, or clerks or whatever it is. This is what Marxism has done ideologically. Everybody has a price. That's a form of radical materialism. And in that, th here's the reason why they do it. If you can obscure the value of men's work, then you can start to obscure the value of men altogether in the minds of women. Because much of the labor and natural resource distribution or economy as a whole has been predicated historically on the labor of men. That's a fact, men's labor. So once you can distort that, you can go to work on the value of people at, at large. That's what they've done here. That's what cultural Marxism has done, which is why the modern feminist is its greatest ally. The black feminist, the white feminist, the, the trans feminist, whatever it is. The feminist ideology is Marxism's greatest ally because if you can devalue the work of men, you can hijack the human reproductive system. You own the sexual marketplace, which is why when you go to the shade room and you look down in the comments, you see a bunch of men biting their lip, holding their head in the position for the best light in an angle, okay, taking selfies on their profile. I'm in this demographic. I know who these guys are. These are the guys who date women who bench press 300 pounds. These are the guys who are walking around talking about their pro-black neophyte feminists. They're the ones on there saying, criticizing you, saying, you know, it's the men's fault too. The baby mama culture is the men's fault. Let's be clear about this. Are there men that are having sex with women and then not taking care of their kids just from the outset? Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. But let's be more clear. The over preponderance of circumstance in the black community is this. There are there are black women who grow up with no intention of having a child with a man they intend to be with. 
from the outset. They're having sex at 18, 17, 19, 20, and there's no family structure involved. There's no family uh, format or, or structure in the in the calculation at all. Maybe in their delusional you know, mind where they want Idris Alba, but in reality, there's no family structure there for them from the beginning. Secondly, and this is more important, as you stated, there are women who have sex with men, have a child with a man, and in that relationship, they are sabotaging, actively sabotaging that relationship from any, any type of success. And they're using the same system that they claim is white supremacy as a battle axe against the man. They are trying to get the man to submit to their will within the relationship by saying, if you don't do what I say, if you don't do what I say, I'll go to the white racist system and I'll extort you. Me and them will team up to extort you. And a lot of black men in response to that, which I think is partly right of them to respond in, is to say, well, then I won't work. If that's what you want to do, if that's how corrupt you're going to go, if you're in one conversation going to say that the white man is inherently racist and, and the whole system is guilty, but on the other hand, call them when I raise my voice too much and then go get me on child support that has no, no type of relativity to my ability to procure work, then I just won't work. I'll opt out of the whole thing. And that's where black men make a grave mistake, although it's right in spirit, because then they get you on driver's license suspension. Then you can't work. Now you can't pay your child support. Now you get arrears that affect both your credit and they'll throw you in jail for it. And they have done that. And black women in a generational on a generational basis have continued to participate in it. And Sierra is a shining example of a higher class and a different variety, but the exact same feminist edifice. Hope that answered the question. <laughs> it did. It, and it, it, I want to answer the, the contention that, hey, Whitlock is letting men off the hook and, and he's only blaming women. And, and I understand why someone may jump to that conclusion. But, but you have to also remember about, as it relates to me, to just think of how much flack I've taken over the years for my criticism of high-profile black athletes like LeBron James or others, rappers, uh, you know, a lot of these rappers have threatened to kill me from Snoop Dogg on down uh, for my criticism of the culture that they are producing, the art that they're producing, and, and the values that they're promoting. And, and so it, I'm a critic, and, and I criticize whatever I see as ungodly, unhealthy and and that includes myself that's why again it's it's not just jokes i crack when i say hey my gluttony and and it's a mistake and it, it's it's yeah. i'm very critical of myself when i sit there and say my philosophy on dating and marriage and relationships early in my life when i'm just out pursuing money and giving i'm critical of myself for the same things and, and that liberates me to be critical of others when I see it, because I don't let myself off the hook. I don't let black men off the hook. 
I don't, I've taken a lot of heat in recent months for not letting secular Jewish folks off the hook. I've lost yeah. friends. I've lost pe people want to call me anti-Semitic, but, but the things that I see are unhealthy and ungodly or whatever. I point them out about myself and others. I'm not singling out black women, but damn it, y'all have been elected the leaders. The system has been designed to make you the leader of, of the black man. The system has given you every weapon you could use to castrate the black man, and you've, you're not objecting to it. If, if the, the, the last black woman I can remember that objected to it was Shirazadad Ali, and, and, and black women disowned her, and, and the corporate media yeah. came after her, but, but yeah. I don't see black women Shamika comes on this show and does it, but I don't see Ciara, I don't see any of these people going on, hey, like, this court system is totally unfair to black men. The, the, and I'm talking about family court. Y'all would love to talk about the criminal justice system and getting every locked up dude out of jail. That family court system is far more vicious and unfair towards the black man because those rules change and they can manipulate far easier. It's, it's a, the whole system favors y'all. Y'all been placed in a leadership position. Corporate media celebrates y'all as the smartest thing that's ever hit the planet. And, and you've taken on this role of leadership. Now you don't want to deal with the criticism that comes along with it. I, I'm, 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 I'm not good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it out. I wish that uh, ministers from the pulpit would call it out, but the road to popularity seems to be filled with, call it racism. Anything that bad that happens to black people, call it racism and we'll celebrate it. And it's all a, just, a, it's just a distraction and, and an annoyance, and it, it doesn't leave things in a better place. Let, let me let me let me tell you and, and revisit how I became um, in in heavy contention with the the pro black movement here in Minneapolis because when I marched when I you know first off the criticism of of me and all of these black men that I brought together to speak out about the Fed and all of these other corrupt sort of institutions and and policies and things um, the criticism was. Where did you guys come from? You're not a part of this in crowd in the activist community that's been here since Trayvon Martin, you know, preaching this this um, this coalesced inclusive movement. Who are you? Why didn't you just join us? Why didn't you stand behind the black women or the white liberal women or the LGBTQ folks that have already been here? And and my contention to them was I've been fighting the establishment since four, three, four years before Trayvon Martin was killed. So we don't want to talk about track record. But let me tell you where the, the real strife came. I had a black woman tell me on the ground in Minneapolis during the George Floyd protests that just to be a black woman is a revolution. Now, and and, and I'm, I'm, I swear on my name, she said with a straight, it wasn't funny. She wasn't being, she wasn't being, uh, you know, metaphorical. She wasn't being artistic or, or just plain. She said it with a serious face. Just to be a black woman 
is a revolution in and of itself. I, I couldn't do it. My, my entire rhetoric on the ground in the community had to shift and focus in on black women. And, and that's supposed to be a no-fly zone. Why? Because there was a time when the government, Hoover and a bunch of other people who said they were conservatives, but really they were globalists and they were tyrants, they, they said that the, the Black Panthers and all these other, the black man was the most dangerous thing in the country. Right. And they targeted it. There's no doubt about that. And the government was running the drug trade. There's no doubt about that. The CIA still moving cocaine across the border. No doubt about it. So I understand the, 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 the feeling. I understand where they're coming from. So there was a time when black women were intentionally left with this duty, which was re-incentivized by the welfare state. We know the story. I don't care about any of that. None of that. None of that justifies the belief that just to exist is a revolutionary act. This is the watering down of American citizenship and, and revolution, revolutionary action, but also revolutionary thought writ large. It's not just a revolution to be no matter who you are, but especially black women, because guess what? Revolution is an action word. It's, it's not a flat. It's not a flat noun. It's not an adjective. It's an action word. Just like leverage is an action word. And they are leveraging black women against black men, but against the entire American populace. They're leveraging black women and the, the history of black women against the entire American culture. And it's one, one central message. If you're pro-America, which means you're pro-freedom, which means you're pro-Second Amendment, which means you're pro-God, which means you're pro, uh, um, you know, uh, individual sovereignty or or national sovereignty, then you're anti-black women. That is the that is the narrative. I was watching the movie You the other day. I just happened to be on Netflix and I uh, I, I scrolled by, popped the movie You on with with Noah, uh, what's his name, uh, Jonah Hill, I think that's his name. Jonah Hill is you know that that's his new movie on Netflix original. And I just listened to the first opening thirty seconds where they're doing their radio show. And then the screen pops on and you can see that it's probably a, pl a black woman who's LGBTQ or something like that. And this was the narrative. I, I challenge anybody to go watch the first opening 30 second or minute of that movie and tell me that the message is not black women are antithetical to American culture, to America, the ideal of America. And they're going to use it as a battle axe. And if black women want to participate in that, that's fine. That's, you, you have the right to sign up for whatever scam or corrupt grift you want to. That's on you. That's your individual choice and will. Don't think us black men are supposed to follow along. And don't think we're going to follow these little beta male cucks who use and, and, and puppy dog for that movement to get, to get laid. Because we're not doing it. And increasingly, black men are stepping away from that. That's why they didn't like Kevin Samuels. He told them, stop, talk, stop saying that black men are running out on y'all. Y'all have unrealistic ideals about what black man you deserve. 54% of black men are unmarried with no children. 54% of black men are unmarried with no children. And you're making it seem like they're all deadbeats, that there's a preponderance of deadbeat culture. No, y'all all want Idris Elba. What makes you think that you deserve an Idris Elba? What makes you think you would even like Idris Alba if you actually knew him? But here's the scam, Jason, and I'll leave you with this. If they were with an Idris Alba, their standards would change. Their expectations of the man would change. Why? 
because it's based on a materialistic worldview, cultural Marxism. They'll let the Idris Alba cheat on them. They'll sign up for that. But if you're a, po- a man and you work at the post office, now you're expected to be in by 8 p.m., right? If it's Idris Alba, he could take a month to go to Dubai and film a movie and, and hang out with his female uh, assistants or secretaries because, you know, that's just part of the gig. I know the game. I'm in it. I live it. And that's why I started off where I started. And I, I don't mean to go way off, off track, but, but I see this very first, you know, right up close in my age range. You trade it in, you trade so, it in, you trade it in your administrative job for an OnlyFans. The same, the same patriarchy that you said objectified you. This, and you'll love this one. You, you'll actually get a kick out of this one. The same patriarchy that you say sexually objectified you, now you just double down on it and sexually objectify yourself as long as you get to hold the bag for it? Instead of some pimp or some white man getting all of the profit, now if you get the lion's share of the profit, it's no longer about sexual objectification. And guess who started OnlyFans? I want everybody at home to go and look up who started OnlyFans. And you tell me that OnlyFans itself is not a security state op. Uh, Give us the answer to that. Who started it? I, I want people, I, I'm tired of giving people answers because obviously I'm going a little bit too deep and far. It's a three-click process. CIA, NSA, go look up who started OnlyFans and think about what it's done to the, the, the modern thinking of women. It said automation is great. Uh, uh, AI is great. The internet is your best friend. The internet will give you everything you need. Just play with yourself in front of the camera. Make people subscribe for 20 bucks. You make $10,000 a month. You can travel around, be metropolitan, take pictures, and act like you're living some extravagant lifestyle. And guess what? Even if you have a kid, you know you can pay to leave the kid with your mom and them. Don't let the dad have the kid, though, because if you let the dad have the kid, then you've given over the, 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 the deal you cut with the government, with, with the technocrats. The same people. That's what I'm trying to convey here. It's the same people. The deal has been cut. The police... The police safeguard, they're the, 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 they are the guardrails for a moral decay that we all have bought into. And women first and foremost, because as soon as the man raises his voice, the same black deadbeats, they're the first ones on the horn to the white folks. Come get him. I'm scared. He's going to kill me. He's going to hurt me. He's a danger. He's a threat to the kids. A lot of these kids want to be with their kids, want to be with their kids. A lot of these men would would gladly take their children and raise them on their own. These women are given the kids and the deal has been cut. And all these black folks need to stop lying to get to get laid. That's corny. Agree with you there. I want to I want to throw one more thing at you before I let you go, because it, it further explains my point of view and perspective on and trying to explain to black women and just women in general about what my frustration and why I have this criticism is, is if you, and again, this isn't to canonize or say these guys were perfect, but if you go look at, because obviously we've had this conversation about Martin Luther King and his imperfections, but, but just go look at that generation and their approach led by men, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, the, those guys, all of them with some sort of religious faith, whether we agree with it or not. And we certainly have disagreements with, you know, Martin Luther King didn't even believe in the resurrection. And 
Malcolm X was part of the Nation of Islam and all that. But, but they had a religious belief and, and they led a movement that was more based in logic and reason and leverage than where we are today with all of this emotional energy and all of this feelings driven society. And that's my objection to this female leadership that we've been stuck with. They've created a system that caters to feelings. And once you start catering to feelings, you then have to abandon God. Yeah. Because we all feel and desire things that are inappropriate for us. I mean, right now, I desire a double filet of fish sandwich. I really do, sincerely. It's inappropriate. And I can't live my life based on that feeling, that desire. I, right now, I mean, you know, if I wanted to go dirty, I could tell you some of my other desires that I just can't <laughs> operate on. But yeah. that's what we have now going on in society because of this female dominated leadership where everybody's got to feel good and we just want to make everybody comfortable. We got to be inclusive to everything. And so if, if, uh, Rob Levine wants to become Rachel Levine and and Sam Britton wants to become Samantha Britton and and you know just all of this craziness we have to build rules and laws and customs that normalize depravity and things yeah. that are yeah. antithetical to what God wants for us because they have driven us to this emotional place and you got men on TV looking for opportunities to cry and break down and show their emotional side. Yeah. I'm just, they have made this world way too emotional. Once you give in to emotions and feelings, now you're at odds with God. And that's why, you know, I basically, scripture has become our kryptonite rather than our Superman cape. I, I just wanted your reaction to that and then I'm gonna let you yeah. know. Well, I tell you this, you're starting to sound more and more like a Catholic, my man. You know, St. Thomas, Saint, Saint Thomas Aquinas said it. Uh, when man submits his passions to his reason and his reason to God, he can have peace with himself and thus he can start to create order with others. That's that's a very uh, rich Catholic teaching about peace and order. And you could juxtapose that, which is a correlation to our topic today, to law and order. We seem to want law and order. We need peace and order. Peace and order. And, 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 and what you're saying about putting women at the head of the household or, or putting women in charge of this whole thing and the emotionality, it, it's, it's not. It's not the raw emotion that's the actual issue. It's the dissonance. It's the contradiction in the emotion. It's the contradiction in the worldview. And that's a Catholic Christian teaching, too. Man's will cannot be in contradiction to itself and have any real relationship with God or the truth. That's the reality. You can't in one instance say the whole system is guilty of white supremacy, but you vote for that same system when it fits your agenda, when it fits your, your benefit, your gain. The same, you can't, you can't in one breath say, hey, hey uh, every cop, every cop who's even black is indoctrinated with white supremacy, but then you turn around and you clap when Dwayne Wade's putting his putting his son in a wig and a dress and doing photo shoots. 
But then you'll call the black man who puts on a suit or the black man who sits on TV and tries to tell you the truth. You'll say that we're the ones chasing the clout. No, chasing clout is using your son as a as an economic and corporate chip in a culture that, you know, is swaying towards the LGBTQ. Gabriel Union, that's clout chasing. OK, and and it's not just her and it's not just Dwayne Wade. It's the entire it's and it's not the entire black community. I don't mean to say that. But the overwhelming culture of black community has been reduced down to price, radical materialism. So we drift where the money goes. That's why the prevailing phrase in our community is get the bag. I've never heard a more anti-God philosophy come from a community of people who try and pretend like they have human welfare at the heart of their motivation. Get the bag makes you a pirate. It makes you a it makes you a, 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 an extortionist. It makes you a, a criminal by every other metric. Why is it OK for us to have this radical focus on money? So. Thank you, Royce. Uh, great job, as always. Uh, we're going to keep it moving. You can email me and us fearlessblazeshow at gmail dot com. Shamika Michelle next. All right, let's roll out to uh, North Carolina, bring in Shamika Michelle. Got to get a woman's perspective on uh, what I've been discussing. And Shamika's going to help me unpack all the shots that have been fired <laughs> at me. Uh, we'll call this segment Shots Fired. But Shamika, I want to start first with just uh, your overall thoughts on the controversy and the people's reaction to my interview on Tucker Carlson. First of all, Jason, I thought you did an awesome job. I agree with everything that you said. I do feel like it was a weighty discussion to put in a small amount of time, but I wasn't offended at all because we've been having this same discussion for over a year. So many people messaged me or tried to come at me and say, you know, you should feel disrespected as a black woman, but I don't because number one, I understand what it's like to actually be on national TV. So many people People think that them getting up, posting their uh, opinion on Facebook for 24 likes is the same as sitting in front of a camera with a, a earpiece in and having to say, you know, what you have to say with thoughts in your head. It's not the same. So I never felt disrespected because I've been following the conversation. So if you haven't been following the conversation, that's your opinion that it was something disrespectful. It's not mine. But it's almost like they wanted me to buy into it and then be upset with you because you're saying something that I totally agree with. We have a matriarchal culture and it is not it's, it's not helpful to us. So I thought you did a really good job. I thought the pushback was foolishness, but it was expected because there are so many low level learners that like to hop on Twitter and, and in the comments of the shade room and say what they feel without actually looking at it. I don't understand why we as black people have a hard time seeing something wrong, but then wanting to point the finger at someone else. It is time for us to have the conversation and regardless 
regardless of how you said it, what moment you said it, they felt like it was inappropriate. It wasn't the time. It's always the time to get right and, and, and be called to the carpet. It's always the time. I certainly agree with that, and I've heard from people uh, that have questioned the timing of it, and, and even uh, Pastor Anthony will be here, and I think he has some problems with the timing of, of my uh, comments, but you know, the, to me, the, it's always the right time for the truth, and as a journalist, it's definitely always the right time to speak truth and to try to uh, drive a conversation that needs to be driven. You know, no. I guess it was the right time to go on TV and say, hey, this is white supremacy's fault. It, it, it's not the right time to go on TV and say, nah, this is a reflection of a rotten culture that we've adopted. And so it, it just, who, whoever is provided comfort, I guess, it's the right time for that message. If, if it makes you uncomfortable, it was the wrong time uh, <laughs> for, for that message, I guess. The, the one thing I will say, and I haven't done a deep dive on it, but I kind of like, the Shade Room, which is a very powerful uh, social media account, handle, whatever, aggregator of hip hop culture or black culture, whatever is being. I, I kind of like the way they handled this controversy. And to me, I, I kind of felt like they didn't really choose a side, that they were kind of like, let me put this Whitlock stuff out there because maybe we do need to have this discussion. Am I wrong for reading it that way? Yeah, I think you're underestimating the shade room's pettiness. And I do think that they actually tried to lean the conversation a certain way when they pointed out that uh, Captain Davis or Chief Davis or whatever is married. And, you know, you made the mention that she's a, a single mom. So I think they tried to lean the conversation a certain way and get people in the comments to already think, oh, he was absolutely wrong. So I, I feel like if they were completely neutral, they could have said nothing or just describe what people were about to watch instead of adding their two cents in. I follow the shade room and I know the type of audience that they like to play to. And so I do think they can be completely petty at times. And I think they know exactly what they're doing when they make posts. Hmm. All right. So some of the feedback, some of the shots fired, I actually have to admit I enjoyed, and they'll lead to a better discussion. I'm going to start out with a humorous one <laughs> you sent me. And you, you sent it to me and said, hey, I got to admit, this is actually funny. And so I clicked on it and watched it, and I'm sorry. I laughed out loud. I thought this was funny. Some guy named Ace. What, I, I can't think of his last name, but he put a cartoon video together that mocks me and Tucker Carlson that I found hysterical. Let's play it. Friend Jason. What, what, what's the, what the biggest saying? story out right now? Well, I, I'm not gonna lie. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but please, please don't fire me. I love the donuts here. Wait, you don't know what's going on? Well, I'll be, look. I, I, I've been staying true to who y'all want to be. I'm, I'm a big, fat, stupid. Like, I, I just came here for sports, bro. So you only know about I, I, sports? I, like, no, sports. Sports. Wait, what? The, the spoon fork. I'm an expert on spoon fork. I do spork and, sports analysis. Wait, so you don't cover football or, or basketball? Or, <laughs> no, I, or I've never known anything about sports. So how? But I've how never known you... anything about anything. Here's a picture of my fat ass in a suit. Double breast inside a double breast. 
I should've got a quadruple breast, to be honest. Well, that suit look ridiculous. I look stupid. That suit struggling to stay on my goddamn body. That shit ridiculous. Hey, bro, if you think that shit look crazy, though, wait till you see my ass in the fedora. Look at this shit. What's wrong with me? I look like a sad teddy bear potato. I'm about to go solve french fry crimes and shit. I roll my fat ass. So, Jason, as a, as a black man, to show that we're not biased here, do you have anything to say on behalf of black people? Oh, oh, you oh, you want me to say the regular stuff y'all told me to say? Oh, uh, yeah, black people. It's black people's fault. It's black people's fault. Uh, stop. That's, it's, all, it's all black people. Look, please don't fire me. I literally work for donuts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, on a positive note, they gave me a heck of a fade. I like the way they had my my line, my hair lined up in the fade. I, I like that, and I, I'm just I found that hysterical. Uh, I'm glad you said it to me, Shamika. What did you think of it? Yes, I thought it was hilarious as well. I'm subscribed to his YouTube channel and I follow him on social media. So I just thought it was funny to actually see a video of someone that I know personally. So it was funny to me. I laughed and I had to send it to you. The, the, the I think sporks, spoon and forks, that, <laughs> that combination <laughs> was probably uh, the funniest thing I saw. Uh, let's move on. What did you think of Bishop Talbert Swan? Uh, he basically says, I won't criticize white women. Let's take, let me, white boys go into churches, supermarkets, schools, malls, and nightclubs and violently murder innocent people. Jason Whitlock never blamed white women for this. <sighs> uh, I want you, you know what? I want you to go first. What, what did you think of that? Well, for one, he is the most race baitingest person that I've actually seen on Twitter. And listen, he must not watch the show because we come at liberal white women all the time. Not only that, I have to ask these so-called pro-black people, you claim you don't believe in white supremacy, but everything is, what about the white person? What do you think about the white people? Well, how does this punishment compare to a white person? Is Are white people the epitome of everything that we feel like we have to compare everything to what some, a, a white person is getting? So either you're pro-black or you're not. We should be able to address things in the black community without bringing up the, but, but, but what about white people? For those of you who claim you don't buy into white supremacy, apparently you're think they, you think they're the, the epitome of excellence. Totally agree. And I really like your point. Like, is this dude watching this show? I mean, because we're pretty hard on liberal white women, from me to you to Royce to Delano. I mean, I, I, again, I'm a critic. And I criticize everybody, including myself. I don't think these guys get it. I, I, Talbert Swan is an idiot, a cloud chaser. He, he's a disgrace to Christianity, in, in my view. If he's a Christian, he, he's a disgrace to that. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. I get a New York congressman, Jamal Bowman. He, he ripped me. Let, let's play the video. Yo, Jason Whitlock, I was raised by a single black mother, the amazing, incomparable Miss Pauline Bowman. 
I now sit in the United States House of Representatives. I'm the first person of color and first black man in U.S. history to hold this congressional seat. I also have a doctorate in education leadership, and in 2009, I founded and opened my own public middle school in the Northeast Bronx. I worked in education for 20 years, teaching thousands of kids, and I ran that middle school for 10 and a half years as its principal. And for many of those years, my middle school students outperformed middle school students across all of New York City, and I was raised by a single black mother. How is this incident of police brutality where five officers brutally beat and murdered an innocent black man, how is that the fault of single black mothers? You must have lost your mind, man. You must have completely lost it. There's a lot more I want to say, but I'm going to keep it right there. Okay, I'll keep it right there. I'm a sitting member of Congress writing legislation that impacts tens of millions of people every single day. I was raised by a single black mom. I made history becoming the first person of color to serve in this congressional seat. I made history opening a middle school in the Northeast Bronx. When and how have you ever made history? And I'm proud to say I was raised by a single black mom, one of the most amazing people in the world. I, I don't know if I've made any history. You know, I've certainly accomplished some things that others haven't, but you know, I'm not sitting around pounding my chest. I, I, Jamal, I would like to tell you also that, you know, my parents divorced when I was five years old. And, you know, for the next 12 years, me and my brother were raised by my mother, my senior year of high school. I went and lived with my father, but my father was involved with my life the entire time, but I too was raised by a single black mother. She did a terrific job, but, but Jamal, you're a politician and you're supposed to be a, a leader and you're supposed to have some depth uh, to your position. And, and surely you realize that the statistics are overwhelming that kids from two-parent households on average do far better than kids from single-parent households. The number one indicator a lot of times of who's going to end up in jail comes down to what your family structure was like. And kids from two-parent homes far less likely. They're far more likely to achieve academically and so I get that there are a significant number of aberrations and, and people that divide, defy the stats, but I, I, the Bible makes it clear and the stats make it clear what's the best path for children and what family structure produces the best results and it's not single parent households. Jason, when he got quiet and then came in and said, you must have lost your mind. I was thinking you must have lost a place in your script. I needed a little violin for that because all I was thinking as he gave that little speech was so so what? I'm tired of us taking, you know, a small example and making it as if it should be the norm. 
Jason, if I were to shit on myself right now and clean it up and, and nobody's hurt, nobody's harmed, and I'm able to go out and, and, and be okay and live life, would I then turn around and tell everybody, oh, I don't need no toilet. Toilets ain't shit. Just shit on yourself. It'll be all right. Yeah, I know people ain't going to want to smell it and you may... Uh, you know, damage your clothes and substantially ruin them. But go ahead. It's okay because I made it. I did it. Everything was fine. So what? I don't care that your mother was a single mom. My mother was a single mom, but that doesn't mean it's the norm. And statistics show that that's not ideal. Stop taking an example and, and, and thinking that that's what somebody's supposed to push because they made it out okay. Great job, uh, Congressman, with your boring self, but that's not ideal. And that's the point. Women are walking around as if that's ideal and that's what we should push because they did an okay job. No, statistics are not agreeing with that thought process. I want to move on. I, I, I'm going to, we got to, I want to be quick here on these next two because the last one is, is one I want to spend a little time on. Uh, I call him an alphabet mafia soldier. I, I don't know Michelle Harriet. I mean, Michael Harriet. Uh, but he says Whitlock doesn't know sports or politics. He tweeted out, Jason Whitlock was a football player who got a job making white people think he knew about sports until ESPN tapped him to lead the undefeated and realized that he didn't like black people and black people didn't like him, so he got a job making white people think he knew about <laughs> politics. Uh, Michael Harriet is obsessed with me. Uh, based off my reading of his writings, He's a soldier in the alphabet mafia. I get why he doesn't like me. Uh, I'm not someone that, again, I don't have a problem with the alphabet people, but I'm not trying to build a world to satisfy their desires. No different than how I don't think the world should be built around me being fat and gluttonous. If you're living a sinful life, we shouldn't turn the world upside down to fit your needs or your gluttony or your alphabet lifestyle. Uh, so, Michael Harriet, uh, I get why you don't like me, but you're an idiot. You guys, Jason, you, wanna, you, you, you ever read Michelle Harriet, Michael Harriet's uh, writing? No, but I just have to chime in and say that must be true because obvious, obviously he wants to be on your d because I, that, I didn't know all this stuff about you before I started this show, Jason. So for anybody that knows your history and can just call it out over a tweet, he's been watching you and he's been watching you very closely. So I know I get some pushback from that, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, f not finally, but also th this one, this tweet went viral. Sierra, Russell Wilson's uh, wife, and isn't, he, isn't she Future's baby mama? Mm -hmm. Do I got that right? I'm not all the way up to date on hip hop culture, but or what's in the news. But I think Future's baby mama Ciara, is it Ciara or Ciara? I can't remember. Uh, tweeted I at me Ciara. as a black man to get on national TV and say something like this is irresponsible. A lot of amazing kids have come from single mothers. For you to also undermine single black women in the midst of this tragedy is so sad. This woman just lost her son. Do better. I get it. Ciara's a baby mama. She took it personal. Sierra, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry it hurt your feelings, but, you know, as a black man, I feel compelled to try to steer us a better direction. 
than all the people that are trying to steer us the wrong direction and who continually try to point anything bad that happens to us. As black people, you have no power over that. You're just at the, at the whim of white supremacists. And so I'm not going to apologize here. I'm trying to lead black people to better conclusions and a better life. I'm not trying to tell us what we want to hear. No different than I don't want people coming up and telling me, hey, Jason, don't lose any more weight. Or, oh, you must want me to die. <laughs> That's how I hear that. Thoughts on Sierra? Well, Jason, this is where I'm going to get in my bag just a little bit, because I actually responded to Sierra and said that she supports single parenting so much that she decided to get married so that her child could actually have a father. And I said, I'm tired of us trying to promote dysfunction just because people do okay with it. It was better for her to be Russell's wife than Future's baby mama. And I had some yes queens, some I like my lace front wigs coming at me because they said, Said, oh, you're a, you're a baby mama, you're a single mama. And I had an issue with that because I'm going to push back on that. And let me tell you why, Jason, I won't wear that title because according to Wikipedia, a single mother also referred to as a single mom is an unmarried female, AKA single parent who has little to no support from the child or children's father. According to urbandictionary.com, since it's the urbanites that want to talk so much. A, it's a female who is the sole provider for their child or children financially and emotionally. And I won't wear that moniker because that is not my case. When you say that you are a single mama, it is pretty much well known that you are trying to imply that there is a man who has evaded all of his responsibilities. Now you can castrate the men in your life, but you will never castrate the man in mind because he has provided and been there and been present in his children's life. So we can stop, play these games all we want to, but we need to start chin checking these women that's running around telling lies. When you said something about the show today, Jason, somebody came in your comments and said, make sure you talk about this. And it was an article that stated there's a myth among men that, that, that you know, men aren't present in children's lives black men. Well, if it's a myth, then your baby mamas are an accessory to crime because your baby mamas are the ones running around there claiming that they are single mamas. If you have been present in your child's life, you need to stop letting them use that because we know exactly how it's used. In all of your posts, Jason, over the weekend, I went and looked in the comments. Everybody equates being a single mom with a deadbeat dad. So if you know that you've been around, stop letting women get away with that. And women, stop using it because you're lying and you're saying that this man wasn't around when he is. You are just as guilty as you want to claim the white person is for making up a stereotype that's not exactly true. You're just as guilty if you're going along with it because we know what it implies. And I just won't let somebody say that about my children's father. It's disrespectful. Women know it. And that's why they twist around here because they disrespect men all the time. I'm not going to go for it, period. I'm a two-piece you every time on that one. Mm. I wasn't expecting that. 
Finally, <laughs> that was good, Tamika. Finally, I want to share this email I received, and and I I, I I don't know if I'll be able to fully unpack it, but I think this woman is coming from a very good place and has some legitimate concerns that she wanted to share with me in writing. I'm going to try to read this email in its entirety and try to hopefully do it in just a couple of minutes uh, so you can get the full gist. Uh, Dear Jason, I'm a loyal supporter who has followed your career for many years. I was one of your early fearless subscribers because I was excited about your new media venture and wanted to show my support. I don't always agree with your viewpoints, but I respect your courage and willingness to speak uncomfortable truths. I think the essence of your message is important and I applaud your efforts to raise an army of fearless men who love God and fulfill their role as leaders. I'm blessed to be married to one such exceptional man. He's a wonderful husband, father, and provider who has nurtured me in Christ since we met in college. He's my rock, and we've been going strong for 27 years. As an avid sports fan, he's familiar with you and your work, though he must get tired of hearing me talk about you all the time, laugh out loud. I've urged him to watch Fearless, and we often have great discussions about the topics you cover. We also enjoy your appearances on Tucker Carlson. In 2020, my husband founded a website exposing the destructive globalist agenda from a biblical worldview. He has the fierce intellect and conviction of Delano Squires and Royce White, my favorites, and I think he would make an excellent guest on Fearless if you were ever interested. But alas, that's not why I decided to contact you today. In light of your recent comments about the cause of Tyree Nichols' death, I couldn't remain silent any longer. I'm no psychologist, but based on years of observation, I honestly believe you have deep-seated resentment toward black women. This has always bothered me about you, nagging at my soul like a jagged rock in my shoe. If it rains on a Sunday, you blame black women. If there's a hailstorm in Bangladesh, you blame black women. If five violent police officers murder a fellow black man, you blame black single mothers. Is there a baby mama crisis in the, com in the black community? Absolutely. Does it need to be addressed and dealt with? Most definitely. But I think you're way off the mark when you attribute Tyreek Nichols' death to baby mama epidemic and our matriarchal black culture. What do black single mothers have to do with five black cops abusing their power and behaving like vicious thugs toward another black man? Your dogged attempt to lay this abuse to lay this tragedy on black women is disappointing and frankly disgusting. You never seem to have the same smoke for deadbeat black fathers. Those baby mamas aren't impregnating themselves. Although you've addressed the issue of fatherless homes, the bulk of your con condemnation is always directed at black women. It's not balanced, not even close. Despite your fond tributes to your mother, it's been evident for years that you clearly have a deep-rooted problem with black women. I have never gotten this vibe from Delano Royce, Pastor Walker, or any of the other male contributors, just you. As a, profession, a professing Christian and man of God, I implore you to pray about this matter and do some serious soul searching. I don't know your heart, only God does, and he can heal our hearts and minds if we're willing to humble ourselves and ask for help. Just in case you're wondering, this isn't a case of hit dog hollering. I was raised by two highly educated black parents and I've never been a single mother. I married my college sweetheart and had our children in wedlock. I know you've already, I know you're already getting vilified over this topic and I don't want to pile on 
not that you're a stranger to controversy. You may never read this letter, but I felt compelled to reach out to you as a concerned sister in Christ. I'm still a fan and I will continue to watch your show and support your fearless mission. Sincerely, Maureen Smith. Now that was awesome. And, I'm so, and I know she was critical of me, but I'm, I'm sorry. This woman is coming from a very good place. And, and she's a supporter and a fan. I don't think she fully understands me. I wrote her back uh, last night and told her that, uh, Maureen, I read your entire email. I believe you're coming from a spirit of love. I'm glad you wrote this email. It is well written and it's clever. Some of it made me smile and chuckle. Obviously, I disagree with your contention. I've written a column that will publish tomorrow and we will address the controversy around my Tyree Nichols take on tomorrow's show. I have deep-seated resentment toward a culture that has destroyed the black man, the black family, and the rise of black people. Do I think black women have too easily abandoned a biblical worldview for political and economic power? Yes. I will likely read your email on air tomorrow and address this more fully. Thanks for reaching out. God bless you, Jason. So I'm hoping, and Maureen responded back, she's going to watch this show. I think before I give a full response, I want to give Maureen the opportunity to write me tonight and tell me if I've answered her throughout this show fully and given her, because Royce and I talked about some of the issues she's bringing up, and I hope that this show answers her questions, but if she has additional questions, I'll address them. <laughs> she sends me an email, I will address them again on tomorrow's show, and if any of you have any questions, I want you to email me. This is why I love getting these emails. I, 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 I don't want anybody to think I'm not listening to you all and I'm not open to correction, pushback, uh, further explaining myself. Uh, Maureen, thank you for this email. I hope that this show is addressing some of your concerns, but you let me know and I'll come back with uh, further comments. But Shamika, I'm sure uh, this is something that in working with me for the past 18 months, I'm sure perhaps you've heard this from other women, and, and I'm sure, heck, it may have even crossed your mind, I don't know, uh, that I have some deep-seated resentment towards black women. I I'm freeing you to say whatever it is you think, whatever it is you heard, uh, and so I'll, I'll let you have the final thought on this for now. Well, first, yes, I do agree that Maureen came in the right spirit. I think we have some great, loyal fans, listeners, subscribers, whatever we want to call them, that's a part of the Fearless Army. And so I just want to tell her I appreciate her reaching out. I do disagree, however, that you have this deep-seated root against Black woman. The last time I looked in the mirror right before this show, I am a Black woman. And so, no, I don't think I'm your token Black woman for the show. I think that you actually see me and you value my opinion. And I've worked with a lot of black men over the course of the, the last, I don't know, 10 years being in media. You are the one that treats me with the most respect. There has never been this, oh, you need to do this in order for me to give you this opportunity. And that's something that I can appreciate. And so I'll go to bat for you, Jason, every single time when someone wants to say that you don't like black women because I'm black. 
I'm black and I'm black. I'm sitting up here on your show right now with natural hair and an afro, and you say it's your favorite hairstyle. Like you have never actually put me in a position to make me feel like you don't like black women. So regardless of what someone sees or thinks, I'm here to say that's not true. And what I want people to understand is when it comes to us constantly coming at black women, black men are not walking around saying, hey, I just left somebody as a baby mama or hey, I just left somebody without help for their child. It's black women that are walking around celebrating this lifestyle. It is black women that are the loudest as if I don't need a man or I can do this on my own. Black women are the one that's, ones that are acting like this is the way it should be. They're the loudest voices. So of course it may seem as if they're getting a lot of pushback, but it's because they're the ones celebrating it the most. And even with Maureen, she equated being a single mom to what about the deadbeat dads, which goes back uh, which goes back to what I just said, how we equate the two of those. My kids were born in wedlock as well, but just because we got a divorce didn't mean that I was a single mom. And what I want us to do as black women is to take a good hard look at ourselves. What we like to do all the time is, is quote Malcolm X, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. Malcolm was talking about a different caliber of woman. The women that we see today are not the women that Malcolm actually was trying to take up for. Women today, nobody Nobody disrespects us more as black women than we disrespect ourselves. I would never see my grandma with her ass turned to the camera twerking for Instagram. Never. I would never see my grandma dragging my granddaddy like he was nothing. But today, we're a different kind of woman. And until we decide to be honest and take a hard look at ourselves and, and be real for real, since we like to say it all the time, I keep it 100, keep it 100. We are a different type of woman. Modern women are not the same and it is not a, a benefit to the next generations coming behind us. Thank you, Shamika. Uh, we'll probably see you tomorrow. Great job as always. I, I want to end on this note with me just being transparent because, uh, Maureen, I'm not done in terms of I want to hear your feedback and anybody else's feedback that may feel that way. The reason I'm taking this issue very seriously because this isn't the first time I've heard it. I hear it from my own family. Now, I'm me and my mother struggle with this issue. Me and my sister struggle with this issue. And, and my contention is, I, I'm, I'm an old school patriarch. And we live in a culture that celebrates the matriarchy. And I refuse to give in to it. And that has put me at odds and, and created friction in some of my relationships. And I'm talking, this has been in me since I was a little kid in terms of when I first saw the movie Roots, the TV show Roots, the dramatic series, my first, and so th that comes out in the 70s. I'm just a little kid. And in episode one, Kunta Kinte is over in Africa and goes off to manhood training at 16. And when he comes back, his mama and everybody has to treat him 
differently and with the respect that he's a man and that he's the leader. I'm talking about when I was a little kid, I was telling my mother and everybody that would listen, oh, that's the way things are supposed to be. That's been me from the jump, from coming out the womb. And so it's not something I just came up with. And, and again, our culture is so matriarchal that it does create friction. But this is one thing my grandmother, tremendous influence over me. You guys have heard me talk about my faith. My mother, spectacular mother. I would put my mother up against any mother that's walked the planet. She can go toe to toe with Mary, in my opinion. Uh, and my sister, who was my greatest inspiration as a young kid because she was out doing all kinds of really impressive things and opened my mind up to like, man, you can do anything, Whitlock. And that was my sister. And if you went to any three of them, my grandmother's past now, but my mother and, and sister, and, and if my grandmother could talk from the grave, how did Jason treat you? How did he support you? How has he been an asset in your life? He may not tell you everything you want to hear, but he's going to provide you absolutely everything you need. That's my role, in my opinion. I'm not going to, I don't tell any, I don't tell myself what I want to hear. Sometimes that puts me at odds with women and, and, and black women and, and just my patriarchal view. And I've, I've said for a long time, as it relates to people, man, you gotta be willing to compromise. Well, compromise, and I ain't meeting nobody halfway to stupidity, man or woman. I stand on some things, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not, the criticism keeps coming up. I can't be in denial and say that, you know, just dismiss it out of hand. And Maureen, I love the spirit you came at me with. Uh, so anyway, tell me what you think. Write me back. Anybody else want to chime in on that? Write me back. Tell me what you think. Tell Steve Kim we're not going to. I got to get to Steve Kim at the end. I want to go to Delano next uh, as we continue this conversation. Uh, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit notifications and subscribe. Delano and Pastor Anthony next. Let's roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in Delano Squires. Show's going to get smarter and it's going to get more biblical because Pastor Anthony Walker is here in studio with me as well. Uh, thank you so much, Anthony, for joining me here in studio. And uh, Delano, we're, we're going to lean into Delano here for a bit and then uh, we'll lean into Anthony uh, sent me a long email uh, about my comments on Tucker Carlson. We'll get into that at some point, but I, I want to lean into Delano one because Delano suited and booted and got the fresh haircut, fresh lineup. I mean, my God, uh, <laughs> were you meeting the president after this or what? Uh, nah, just, just a Monday. I knew I was going to be here, so oh, just I wanted to dress yeah. the part. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, 
Delano, my mm. instincts when evaluating the Tyree Nichols situation after watching the video was to first talk about or respond to people that were saying this is an example of white supremacy and to say, nah, I don't think this is white supremacy and I think justice is gonna be served here. I think that uh, this is a distraction away from, not to diminish the value of his life, but more important topics. I think we're, uh, people are unaware that we're pushing, inching closer and closer to a, a nuclear conflict with Russia. And, and I think that uh, what Big Pharma has done and what Projects Veritas exposed, those are major issues and we've taken a local issue five out of control police officers who, who to me, this looks targeted and personal. I don't think this has anything, my view, this is my gut telling me this isn't, this isn't about any kind of police stop. This is somebody executing revenge on someone and using their badge uh, to do that. But, uh, and, and, and then at the end, when given another opportunity, and I said, I'd talk about what I always like to talk about, the destruction of family culture and, and the destruction of the black family and how if, if I didn't say it as well or as, uh, as nuanced or as uh, comprehensively as I did in my mm. column because TV doesn't allow that, but I was just trying to spark a conversation about the family. And, and so we'll just start with an easy one. When you saw the video, what thoughts what what thoughts ran through your head in terms of how you how you would what did you most want to say the the video of the of the incident correct yes okay mm -hmm. okay yeah so yes. um I, I happened to be in the barbershop at the time and you know everybody was anticipating it coming out and when it did the entire shop went silent we we saw the 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 first video which seemed to be the second the, the second part of the interaction, um, and everybody's trying to figure out, well, where, where is he? We can't see anybody on the floor. Uh, we don't see any beating. And then they showed the overhead pole camera video, and, and it, was, it was brutal. It was, that's probably the first word that, that comes to mind, um, especially when they stood him up and a couple people just, just, and I'm not sure if he was cuffed at the time. He certainly was incapacitated because uh, he wasn't putting up a fight at that point. And they just swung on him. And you saw at one point his head, you know, snap back. I think another officer, somebody kicked him when he was on the, on the ground. Another one hit him with the club. It, it was a brutal beating. It was, it was to me, depraved. It was inhumane. Um, it, it almost looked like a movie fight scene, you know, in some of the mob movies where they're trying to send a message to somebody. Stand him up, stand him up. And then punch him again and you see the blood fly. But this time this was real life. So, I mean, it... it the, the comparisons to Rodney King, I understand. Obviously, two totally different sets of circumstances. Um, the King beating was prolonged. He was actually, he was on, you know, substances, you know, I think it was PCP or some other kind of narcotic, which factors into the, the situation to some extent. But this was, this was brutal on its own right. Um, so that, those are the first things. Immediately, people started to say, this doesn't look like regular policing, right? This, to your point, they said, this looks personal. One guy said, maybe he owed them some some money, some you know maybe drug money or something. And I think 
um, all of those those things, when we, this is sort of general commentary, when we see something that is that depraved and inhumane that is difficult for us to understand, I think the human inclination is to move from what you see to why it happened. And, and the explanation phase, absence evidence, leads to all different types of, of speculation. Um, so I, I, I took it f for what it was on the camera. I, I think um, termination and, and charges, serious charges, are more than warranted. Um, they probably won't, that trial probably won't take place in Memphis. They'll probably have to change the venue because obviously everybody's seen it. But uh, it, it, it was a, a brutal um, and inhumane uh, piece of video. And, and that was my overall sentiment. I'm going to disagree with you. I think this trial is going to happen in Memphis. I, mm. I, I really do. And I think it would be criminal if it doesn't happen in Memphis. Uh, and, and I don't know if I have a full explanation of why I, I, I think that. But, but I, I, I just, I think his lawyers or their lawyers, it's going to be made clear to them that taking it out of Memphis isn't going to do you any good and perhaps judge a judge may be a bit harsher if you try to take it away from the community and the citizens that this impacted. And so I, I think they will hmm. agree to a trial in Memphis. Just and this is me again, I don't know everything, obviously none of us do, but this is so clear cut and crystal clear to me of just how criminal uh, this is because it doesn't make sense to me as a journalist why there's no video or explanation of why he was pulled over. And so I think some things are being held back from us intentionally. The, the police chief has said, we can't even substantiate if he was driving recklessly. Mm. Uh, and so for her to admit that and say that means there's gonna, there's gonna be other shoes to drop in terms yeah. of motivation and what provoked this. Because one of the early things I saw, and again, I watched CNN's coverage, and I haven't gone back and rewatched and make sure I've hunted down every, but I watched an hour's worth of CNN, and mm -hmm. they unpacked it one video at a time in its entirety. And when they ran up and snatched him up out of the car, I was like, man, that don't, that don't look right. And, and then the pepper spray, and I was like, how does pepper spray help in this situation? Yeah. That's the first thing that made me say, what are they doing here? And then when I looked at that young man's facial expression, he had a real look of terror mm -hmm. in his face that, that was, because if you're trying to fight back, you don't have a look of terror. You have a look of, I'm trying to get at him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to me, I saw someone was like, he's trying to figure out, what is going on? Yeah. What did yeah. I do right. to, to deserve? And, and so I, I just, that, that's where I, I just, again, this looked like gang activity from the police. And if mm. people that, an understanding of law enforcement is they create gangs to fight gangs. And I mm. say that, and this will sound a bit silly, but the television show The Shield was mm -hmm. based off a real-life situation in L.A., the Ramparts controversy. And that's where, in order to combat gang violence, the L.A. or Sheriff's Department or whatever it was, I can't remember, basically started a gang. 
to fight the game. And, and if you watch the TV show The Shield, the basic argument is, well, the only way to fight these gangs is to be as dangerous and as crazy as they are. And that's what it looks like they did in Memphis. They made that mistake. And that's why my mind went to <laughs> when you create a chaotic, crazy, dysfunctional community, you're going to be blown away at the chaotic, crazy, dysfunctional solutions people in authority are going to come up to combat that situation. And that's what we have going on in too many of these inner cities. I mean, I, I, I understand that sentiment, and I was a huge fan of The Shield. Um, I, I watched it, I think oh. it was out while I was in college. Um, yeah. So Vic Mackey, to me, was a, was a phenomenal character, complex character. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this, um, and, and actually, Jason, I think, I think this, this leads into the controversy you found yourself embroiled in um, over yeah. the weekend. P- part of my issue with all the responses, um, so the ones on the far left, this is systemic racism and white supremacy, even before the video came out, and even my initial response to your take was, um, I feel like we are being drawn into premature prognostication, right? It's not to say people aren't raising legitimate issues, it's just that they're being raised in an absence of evidence. And when that happens, what, what I think is actually the phenomenon that's going on is, we are injecting our own perspectives, opinions, and life experiences into a vacuum and trying to fill it with something because what we saw in the video is just that hard to fathom. So, for, so I'll give you an example based on you know what you said to Tucker. And one, um, I want to acknowledge that obviously the larger clip gave a lot more context than than the condensed last you know 90, 90 seconds of what you said. But when I when I watched your response, you talk about baby mama culture, and obviously everybody knows that. I'm I'm complete, I'm pro family, pro family formation. I'm against all of that, so I don't even have to give those caveats, but I will. But when when I when I heard you speaking, I was saying to myself, well, how does Jason know that? This this could be a number of things. For instance, the the chief disbanded the Scorpion Union unit, right? Which is I mean I want to make sure I get the acronym right. Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. The chief, the female chief, started this unit I think in 2021. Um, or 20, whenever she became chief, and disbanded it. Now, much like the unit that Vic, uh, that Vic Mackey ran, strike team. These co- uh, strike team, right? Um, these guys were probably doing what they would call proactive policing. And in my experience, what that looks like is um, using data to concentrate on specific neighborhoods where there's a lot, a disproportionate amount of criminal activity and trying to enforce very low level offenses in order to to sustain public order. And when that's public urination, when that's, you know, loitering, there's some residents that say, oh, that's great. But when you do that, sometimes you get into things like this, right? Where it's not just, it's not just, oh, we're gonna stop somebody for expired tags. It's when we stop them, they're going to feel the full force because we want them to be afraid of, of who we are. And that's how the strike team operated. And given some of the, the, the commentary about the Scorpion unit from people, from one guy who had been stopped by them, I think the week before, 
it seems they may have had a similar type of mentality. So I bring that up to say it could have been this is the culture of the Scorpion unit, which in many respects, if I was to be honest, it wasn't I would not characterize as matriarchal. If anything, it's harder. It could be harder than regular police culture. The other thing I saw over the weekend, the New York Post ran a story that said one of the guys was the chapter president of his fraternity, which happened to be Omega Sci Fi, which for anyone who knows sort of black fraternity culture, I would say it's fair to characterize them as the the left would call them the most hypermasculine um, fraternity. And I heard that they're, correct, their hazing rituals are, were, are probably more intense than some of the other, the other fraternities. So it could have been this guy brought some of that culture in. It could be some of these guys are ex-military or raised by ex-military. And again, they're, in their mind, policing is about occupying and dominating a particular neighborhood, not protecting and serving, right? And it could be partly that some of these officers, just given their the, the data and their personal experiences, do have a default of skepticism towards young black men of a particular age group that live in a particular neighborhood. All of those things could be true in some part, but it's like we, we don't have the evidence. It certainly didn't two hours after the thing played. We didn't have the evidence to say how much of it is 20% this, 15% that, so on and so on and so forth. And so that's why I think I think that was part of um, my initial reaction to what you said. And and that's a nuanced reaction. Now, I know the reaction from other people is just going to be, even if, even if this was a case strictly, if, if you were on Tucker and you were talking about uh, a baby, uh, Nick Cannon got into a domestic dispute with one of his mothers, and you said something about baby mama culture, there still will be people, the same people will still attack you for that. Because when they hear the words baby mama put together in that way, they are already on, on defense. I just didn't I just didn't think that there was enough information um, to make that heavy of a claim in such a short period of time without some sort of substantiation. It's like doing uh, it's, it's doing cancer surgery with a machete in 30 seconds. Right. The, the purpose of the surgery is correct the tool and the amount of time needed to execute it uh, properly is just, is not there in that, in given that time period, if, if that makes sense. It does, I, I'll say this, if the elements, the possibilities that you've thrown out are true, and maybe, the, maybe it's the hazing deal, maybe it's, uh, I, can't rem- I can't off the top of my head recall the other thing you said, These things, in my view, if you have a community and cities that are dominated by single parenthood, that's where these things are tolerated and allowed and happen. And just as a journalist, and and I don't want to, I got to be careful because I I want it to be heard because I think your uh, analysis is fair and accurate and and perfectly fine. But I will say this. I've been a journalist for a long time, stitching information together that other people can't see through as quickly as I can. This is how I've made my career and reputation, my instincts and ability to connect dots 
that it may take others two months, a year to connect dots on. And Mm -hmm. just as it relates to this issue in particular, police misconduct, because of what's gone on in my own family and because of the amount of time I've spent thinking about, discussing, researching, talking to people about, hey, what is going on here? And, and, and it's, 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 it's why The Shield and The Strike Team is one of my favorite shows. And I know that it's, that's a fantasy interpretation of the Rampart situation in L.A., but I've actually researched the Rampart situation and, and read up on that. And, and, and I, I'm just gonna stick, and I don't wanna take us off into fantasy land, but I wanna stick with your Vic Mackey analogy and just think about the strike team if you have a legitimate one that's really good and the way they showed Vic Mackey and his group, like they know who all the players are. They knew who all the gangbangers and blah, blah. And when they ran up on somebody, they already knew them. They knew their background, blah, blah, blah. And, and not that police don't make mistakes, but that kind of mistake with a guy with no criminal record and you're pepper spraying this dude in the face and, and beating him up in that way and snatching him up out of the car, it just makes no sense. Maybe these are all bad cops because they were inexperienced and there's reports that, you know, a lot of them were hired after standards were Mm. lowered to meet diversity, equity and inclusion. And maybe they're just doing a bad Vic Mackey, Shane Vendrell imitation that that is a possibility. But I'm going to say the kind of there's a reason why. Well, I, I can't even say that because we, we never even discuss, you know, I, there's worse, as bad as this was, what happened to the white kid, Daniel Shazer, I think his name is, out in Arizona? Yeah. Ten yeah. times worse than this. This dude was executed in cold blood by white cops. He's a white dude. He's on his knees. He's very, so police, but I've seen that. I just said, I have not seen this. And even, take Rodney King or whatever. He leads police on a chase and they get all hyped up and go bonkers. It's like my mind can go there. They're frustrated. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why they haven't shown us the video of what led up to him even getting pulled over in the beginning part of the arrest. But I'm looking at a young dude that his facial expression to me said, man, I ain't really done nothing. What are they doing? And, And to me, that's where I go. And then when I see them holding him, he's almost dead, it seems like. At this point, they're holding, and they're still punching him and pretending like they can't get his arms behind his back. It just seems personal. It just seems like what spews up out of a rotten culture so, to me. I, I'll let you go ahead, Delano. No, so so I, was, I, I think you raise a, a great point, and... and um, my response, actually, I think, would speak both to what you say said just now, and some of what I hear from the left, because obviously they're they're 100 percent ten toes down on the, you know, white supremacy, systemic racism narrative, um, and the reason that's the case is because that allows them to to file this under white cops, black suspect, um, because it, as you know, the left never le- likes talking about quote unquote black on black crime. So to the extent that they can make these guys pawns of a white superstructure, 
then they get to they they get to to you know run the same play that they typically do. But part part of my response would be this: um, one of the reasons it's so difficult to talk about policing and certainly policing and race is because almost none of us have ever heard of similar situations involving um, white people. Now, that's not because they don't occur. It's just because the the media has um, a huge confirmation and selection bias. So they have a narrative that's going straight down the middle. Anything that veers to the left or to the right, they're not interested in. But all of the high profile cases, let's say over the last couple of years, there's a white corollary. There's a white um, George Floyd. His name is Tony Temper. There's a white Breonna Taylor. His name is Duncan Lemp. Um, I've seen uh, police shoot a white dude. He just got out of his car. He didn't put his hands up fast enough. That's Dylan Noble. I've seen the police beat up a teenage kid, put his ar- put his arms behind his back and drop him face first onto the pavement, knocking him unconscious. I've seen police shoot a white kid who was deaf, shot him in the back of the head. So all of these things exist. It's just that we don't see them. And in the absence of that, we reach for explanations as to why it's happening. But I guess my point is, and I think I actually think you're you're proving um, the, the the point that I'm trying to make, which is this incident was much more about that unit and these officers than it was about Tyree Nichols, because he didn't even really have time to say to to say it this way, to fight back or resist, you know, because when when they when they're trying to twist your arm and they say stop resisting. I mean, they said, twist your arm, straighten your arm, get up, sit down, like what they did with Daniel Shaver. It's the, the, the competing uh, commands is not really conducive to, to a good situation. So if, if the police run up on you and before you reach for license or, re- or they ask for license registration, they snatch you out of the car, that interaction is less about the, the civilian and much more about the police. And that's why I'm saying, um, even if if there is an indictment to be made on Memphis culture writ large, as 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 it relates to it being driven by baby mama culture, or the relationship between black men in Memphis and their lack of respect for authority. Again, I'm just let's say that was the case. I'm saying what we saw in the video doesn't substantiate that, because it's not like the only part I guess you could say is when when he tried to he got loose and then he ran which is not wise. It's never wise to do that on the street because the police own the street. And I've never seen a situation in which a person ran from or fought with the police and it ended up better for them. But outside of that situation, it's, it's hard to make that claim, in my opinion, because the, the evidence so far points to the, the conduct on the behalf of the police. And as I said, I would say that these types of units, and I've, and I've seen them operate, when they, when they roll up in the hood, it's different than they ro- roll up a few miles down the street in a majority middle-class white neighborhood. They don't, they don't speak the same, they don't engage the same. And, and what I'm saying is I think uh, this situation is much more reflective on, on the police than it is on Tyree Nichols. And, and I would say one, those Scorpion units ain't going out to the suburbs. They're in high crime zip codes and areas. They don't never see it. The, the other thing I would say is my baby mama statement isn't an indictment of Tyree Nichols. It's an indictment of the culture that he has to exist and operate in. And I'm gonna give you a very personal example. I'm gonna probably keep it way too real and get myself where I I shouldn't be. But take me growing up in the hood 
when my parents divorced, 38th and Grand, it's all single parents in my neighborhood. It's all, there's very little supervision. And, and I say this in all seriousness. As kids, we played a game called Heingo Get It. Mm-hmm. And it didn't have nothing to do with Heingo Seek. It had to do with sex and little kids. I, when we moved to a, a working class neighborhood, I brought the high and go get it mentality mm. that I <laughs> was infected with in that community. I brought it out to this working class neighborhood where there was family and there was supervision. I had to be deprogrammed. I had, I'm, Completely different person than I was that kid at 10, 11, 12 with that hind go get it mentality that infected me in that baby mama culture that I brought out to a more, not that there wasn't sexual malfeasance among just kids in general, but that hind go get it mentality didn't play out there. I had to be deprogrammed and my mother had to come up to the school because Indoor resource, indoor recess. I was talking female students into doing things that they didn't do in indoor recess. I'm just, mm. I'm keeping it way too real. But I had to be, there were things, and so my point is Tyree Nichols and many people dropped into areas where there's very little parental supervision or a lot less than what's normal. They get infected, they get harmed, they get they become collateral damage of a corrupt culture through no fault of their own. And, and that's why family structure is so important. So you can create a culture that doesn't harm the non-participants. This kid sounds like what, it, what we know on the surface, mom, stepfather, people involved, no criminal records, good kid. He, he just, I know, you know, I, I don't want to call out any other names, but I got a very good friend that grew up in a, a, a crip neighborhood. Good mm. kid, good family. He called hell. He, 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 he got stomped on, on buses, whatever. Not because he was the bad guy, but he had to exist. Marcellus, I'm not even, and I wasn't talking about Marcellus Wiley here, but Marcellus Wiley talks about his upbringing in Compton and how, He's a big old dude. He wasn't down for the gang stuff. He wrote in his book and talks about all of his sister. His sister fought all of his fights mm. because you had to fight in that neighborhood. And so that's mm. part of my argument is like Tyree Nichols, just a victim of a rotten culture that we have allowed to exist. And it, 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 it damages all of us. Pastor Anthony, before I, I want to bring you in and just we'll, we'll get to Virgil. Anthony, you wrote me a, a long email questioning the timing of my comments. If you could unpack that. Well, you know, the, the intersection between journalism and Christian can sometimes be, you know, mm. contentious. So given the opportunity, you know, you always are preaching on this show that our primary identity is Christ. So I'm saying you got four minutes in a national setting to bring Christ to this crisis. And I think you went journalist. You went, hey, here's what the problem is. Here's what we need to do. Here's the culture. And in the heat and in the pain, 
that people are not going to hear very clearly. They're hearing, oh, he hates black women. They're hearing, oh, it's only the black women. And well, then they got analyzing your comments. Well, this person was married or he had a stepfather. And that's really not what you were trying to convey. You're trying to help. And so from a Christian perspective, I'm thinking, man, there's nobody in these spaces. Whenever these crises happens, there's always somebody to analyze. There's always somebody to blame. There's always left, right, Democrat, Republican. Who's in these spaces to say, hey, Tucker, let's let's pray about this, because I, I don't know, you know, as Delano's pointing out, I don't know all the details over why it happened. But I do know if you want to speak to your heart, the culture of this, it's not even really baby mama culture. It's a culture of sin. It's a culture of turning away from God. So I want to be a force to lead us back to God. Let's go to his throne for his mom, his son, for the community, for these people. And then I think everybody's going to be talking about, man, Jason Whitlock goes on national TV to pray, you know, to talk about Jesus, about this situation. And it opens the door for you now to be able to, okay, let's talk about some of the issues as to why this culture is this way. You can always do. I mean, you've got this great show that you're able to blend Christ and journalism together to deal with the unpacking. But from a gospel perspective, you know, when Paul, when he addressed Ephesus, a place that literally worshiped a goddess, right? They literally worshiped sex and perversion. His first hit is the gospel. When he, mm. he, he speaks to Corinth, the very first thing he says, when I came to preach to y'all, I didn't come with philosophy. I didn't come with eloquent speech. I came claiming nothing but Christ and him crucified. Now, after he mentions that, he takes his belt off and he whips Corinth. I mean, he goes up one side, down the other. But the first hit is Christ. And I'm not speaking to, you know, when, when people use timing, I'm not one of those people that is never the right time. There's a time and a place for everything. I'm just looking at in this time and in this moment, let's hit the whole world with Christ. And then we will deal with all the rest of that in time. Anthony, the point I, I like that you just made there is there was an opportunity based off what you just said, mm -hmm. for me to do both, Christ and journalism. There was an opportunity for me, for me to say, we need to pray about these communities that uh, the family structure has been so broken down mm -hmm. that chaos, dysfunction, and what, what, uh, what Tony Evans started, chaos, calamity, and confusion mm -hmm. reign supreme, mm -hmm. and it's hard for everybody, and we need to pray about, there was a chance for me to do both Still making my point about family, mm -hmm. while le and so totally agree with that. So that's me copying to I could have done better. I want to be clear on this. I don't want you to hear this next part as an excuse, but let's say CNN, the way they unpacked that video, it ended probably 10 minutes before I had to walk down and walk into this truck in this studio. Mm. And, and sitting in a chair, watching Tucker's mono, and then boom. And so, my, again, my first thoughts were what I unpacked in the first couple of comments I said. I was surprised, because the segments are usually so tight, I was surprised when I had an opportunity to say anything in addition, mm -hmm. and then that's where I went to family deal. But, so it sounds like I'm making an excuse. 
I, yeah. I do like your suggestion and get uh, your point. Delano, I want to give you a final say if you, if you have one, and uh, I'm going to bring on yeah. Virgil. Yeah, I mean, one, I, I respect you um, for being self-critical, and because and, a lot of times people will, they'll either change it up and say, oh, no, well, everybody's taking me out of context, or they'll try to ignore it or delete the comment. Um, and I respect you for going straight through it and saying, look, I, I'll hear all the different sides. Um, but two, I, the, the second part I'll say is, um, I definitely agree with Pastor Anthony's point. Um, I think a, a Christian analysis of sort of political and cultural issues always can unearth things that you don't typically get, like human depravity, the nature of sin, the fact that sin is not color-coded, right? So this is old, but this is, this is white supremacy. We, we can't even imagine that a black person would be brutal towards another black person unless we can blame it on white people. Um, so so I, think, I think that's another part of it. And, and the third piece, I wanna to respond to something you said before in terms of the collateral damage that is often done in some of our communities. And I do think that that's something that needs to be discussed more often. Um, one of the reasons, I'm sure, Jason, same thing for you, that, that I'm so passionate about the issues that I am passionate about is because I know there are a lot of straight lace, square, clean kids keeping their nose clean, you know, black kids in neighborhoods who get caught up in all different types of stuff. And, and they bear the burdens of stereotypes that are caused by their ethnic kinsmen, right? And it's, it's really not fair, but it's life. In the same way that in the South, there's probably a lot of white dudes that have mullets and drive pickup trucks. And when, and when, a, white per, and when a black person passes them, they take a step back, they, they, they scurry on ahead, they say, oh, I can't be around this person after sundown because of the stereotypes that come with what a lot of black people think about, you know, middle-aged Southern white man driving a pickup truck. Um, so, so I think to the extent that the, what you said sparks a discussion about the macro culture in America, generally speaking, and even more specifically in our communities and, and the micro culture that oftentimes results in more sort of state intervention, more government, more policing, um, I think it's good that we have that discussion because um, that type of thing claims victims all of the time. The, the, the thing is, typically those victims are people that we never hear of because the left and corporate media is not interested in the thousands of black people, innocent bystanders, school-aged children, teenagers who have their lives cut short by stray bullets um, by drive-by shootings, by gang beefs that, that claim innocent victims, none of those people um, ever have their names said on, on national TV. So if, if that's the end result of this, that we get to talk about what this means to live in some of these communities, then I think net-net, that's a good thing. Thank you, D. Go to blazetv.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless and you can get a save uh, $10 on your yearly subscription. Uh, we're going to go to Virgil Walker. Right. Atheists, the secular world, the culture, 
uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, and we, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let him chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let him sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let him make the Bible hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. Let's go out to Atlanta and bring in our main man, Virgil Walker. Virgil uh, and Anthony, I want to play you guys a clip that uh, I saw this morning on, from the Woke Preacher's account, and it, it represents the kind of things that trigger me and, and get me upset in these situations. Uh, here's a minister, I believe, in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, talking about Tyree Nichols, and I want you guys' take. 
as we lift the name of our brother Tyree Nichols from Memphis, who, though killed at the hands of black men, was killed by a system of white racial supremacy, which devalues black life to the point that we don't value it in one another. Can I? Let's, let's be clear. Racism is bigger, especially on an institutional and structural level than black and white. Racism is a system. And when you are in a system, you can do the system's bidding whether you look like the dominant culture or not. That is why we have violence in our communities. That's why we have all sorts of situations where we devalue black life because it is a system at work. And when you do a good system, you do know that it can work on its So let's not allow people to change the narrative. And let's continue to keep the main thing, the main thing. Until America deals with structural and institutional racism, which is in the fabric of every structure and system of this nation, we're going to continue to see it manifested in all sorts of places and spaces. Indeed, I must say it, it has to be said, this nation must confess and repent of its original sin. Which has been the disposable use of non-European bodies starting with the indigenous people of this land and very soon thereafter, our ancestors. <clears throat> so, I'm, th th this type of video content uh, triggers me. It, 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 I can't, and Virgil is our resident uh, critic, <laughs> pulpit critic, so I'll start with you, Virgil, and then I will ask you, Anthony, your thoughts on it. But when the man at one th at time said, don't let them change the narrative. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm -hmm. And when the next words out of his mouth wasn't Jesus Christ, I was triggered. Yeah. It, 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 you're preaching from a pulpit. You're, you're representing God. You're, you're preaching. I just, I just don't think white supremacy is the main thing. I, I no. particularly at a church, it, it's got to be Jesus. Or, or, or what are you doing? So anyway, your thoughts, Virgil, and then we'll hear from Anthony. Yeah, Jason, I think, I think uh, first of all, when, you, when you're at a church on the Lord's Day and you're preaching and all, all the glory goes to white supremacy rather than to uh, Father God, there's a, there's a problem. Uh, I, I'm at a point now where I'm watching this kind of uh, information or these pastors share this kind of information. I no longer call these churches. These are social justice rallies. Uh, that's really what they amount to. And, and the narrative is always the same. No accountability for anyone doing anything that, that happens to be black. And all the accountability is, is attached to white supremacy. Uh, they have, people like this, pastors like this, 
have absolutely abandoned uh, the attributes of God. We know God is omnipotent, uh, omniscient, all-knowing, om- omnipotent, all-powerful, uh, that, that he is omnipresent everywhere uh, with us. These pastors preach a message that says that white supremacy actually has all of those God-ordained attributes, that it is white supremacy that is all-powerful, it's white supremacy that is all-knowing, it's white supremacy that is everywhere present, and it is a perfect system that is responsible now for every action that we, uh, that, that we engage in, rather than realizing that no, all of us are sinners, regardless of the level of melanin in our skin or the lack thereof, and we have a responsibility. When these, when these men who committed this, this, this criminal act uh, against Tyree Nichols go before God, apart from repentance and faith in Christ, which is the message of the gospel, they will be answering for their sin against that human being. They will not be able to look at God and say, you know what? It really wasn't me. It was that system of white oppression back there that made me do this. And so I'm, I'm free and clear of any guilt. That won't be the case. That won't be the case even in the, even in the justice system that we currently have as, they, as, as this whole process is adjudicated. I, I want to go back though, the, to, to the issue of the church. And this is where I, I have most of my angst Jason, as you well know, this is what a waste of time you talk about. I know there's been a been a critique of of the amount of time that that you had for uh, four minutes on uh, on Tucker. And and again, one of the things I appreciate about you is is that you're, you're open to listening to that. This pastor actually abused the time. He abused this congregation and, and he absolutely misused his his title as a pastor in a pulpit. He should have been given the proclamation of the gospel and our need for the gospel. And if he was going to talk about this event, he should have done so in light of the fact that all of us are sinners. All of us are in need of a savior and, and, and we need a the gospel. But B, those impacted by this tragic outcome need the gospel and the good news as well. Anthony, what a what a I'm gonna underline what Virgil said. <laughs> this is why the gospel is the answer to all of it. Either side, either extreme, whatever point that people want to make, it's racism, it's white supremacy. If we focus on all of these other issues, we'll change circumstances, but we'll never change hearts. And it's the heart of this. That, that brings up the sin and the sin brings up the culture and all of that bleeds through. So what? look at what has happened. Delano brought this up. Look at what happens when you deal with uh, just the circumstance. We had white officers that were killing black people. That was what was highlighted, right? Well, now the situation's changed. We have black officers killing a black man and what are we still playing? Oh, it's still white supremacy because of this, that, and the other. No, I am going to change the narrative. It is sin. It is sin that has crept in. And the gospel is the only thing that's going to answer the fatherless homes. The gospel is the only thing that's going to answer the self-control that these cops did not have. The gospel is going to answer all of that. So as Virgil says, if I'm going to address this situation from the pulpit, I have to frame it in the gospel and how the gospel is what's going to be the answer to that. And so one of the things I've argued and, and, and said, Virgil, today, and it's part of my overall narrative is, is, is I look at this minister and I look what's going on, what I see in a lot of churches, the, the, the 
allegiance to racial idolatry, uh, the allegiance to the Democratic political party, the allegiance to hip hop culture. And, and so those th three allegiances have made us, many of us, hostile towards God and scripture. And, and scripture has become our kryptonite rather than our cape that we wrap ourselves in to unleash superpowers. Right. And, and I, I just, I, I, I just, what can we do to snap people out of this to, to we've taken on these other idols and I know it's all foreshadowed and, and mentioned in the Bible and, and it feels inevitable, but, but I just, I'm just blown away that somebody wouldn't be in a church saying Jesus is the answer. It, it, that's all, all the right. man, he could have done a very short service. Jesus is the answer and went home, and I'd have been fine with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. how, do we, how do we pivot and, and get people a different direction? Yeah, I, I think I think we, we have to begin by examining uh, what is actually happening in these places. And I think to the point you make, if we find a place that it has an allegiance to everything worldly and have have very little allegiance to Scripture, very little allegiance to the idea that scripture is sufficient to answer and address every issue that we encounter in, in life. Uh, it is given to us for the purpose of our understanding how to live a godly life. Um, if, if, we, if we're going into places that, that have an allegiance that opposes scripture, we have to call those out. And we have to say this, Jason, those are not churches. Those are not churches. And the men behind those podiums are not pastors. They, they, they may be politicians. Uh, they, they, they may have some, some a desire for popularity. Uh, they may have a desire to, to impact uh, governmental policy, but they are not pastors. Um, and, and, and what they're doing in advocating for the positions that they are is always contrary to the, to the audience they claim to want to help which is the quote unquote black community. They're always, they're always shilling for the black community, but they're, 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 they're jumping onto ideas that actually oppose black community. I watched after, after the clip you played, I went back, I, my thought was, I wonder what Jamal Bryant had to say in his church on Sunday. And, and it was the same absolute train wreck nonsense that this pastor was preaching. This, this was an issue of white supremacy. While th there were certain things that, that Jamal got, got right, you know, we need to hold people accountable. But, but then he circles back and says, well, I want to hold the, the white person that was doing the pepper spray accountable. I want to hold the, the white people that were in the, the, the emergency uh, uh, workers accountable. I want to hold, and, 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 all, and, and the issue wasn't that they were there creating a problem. The issue was that they were white that was what was most important to him was that they were white. And if they were white, then they too needed to be held accountable because these black men were held accountable as well. All of it was, was the whole narrative that he unpacked for his congregation had everything to do with the divisive nature of black and white. And, 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 and that, that's where the problem is. When you, when you see pastors, quote unquote pastors, doing that, I, I, have to, I have to claim they're no longer pastors. They're no longer shepherds of the flock of God. They're, they're no they, that's not the title that we should give them. And I think that's the way that we snap people out of it. We have to let them know you're not at a church. You're, you might be at a political rally. Uh, you, you might be at a, at a, at a, at a hip hop event. 
you 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 might be you might be you know at, at an event that 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 promotes social justice but you're not at a church and until we begin making those clear lines of distinctions people will think that sunday morning when they get up and go hear jamal bryant that they actually attended a church service and and everything to the contrary of that is true anthony i i don't want to put you on the spot and have you come up with something off the top of your head but if you were a minister and wanted to do a sermon related to this event, how would you craft it? What, what themes would you try to explore? What, what, what scriptures would you turn to to build a sermon around this? Everything that I've mentioned to you before, this is a situation where sin, anger, frustration has just overblown. Again, we don't know why these guys did that, but this is what has just exploded sin. So because I know how tense it is, because I know that obviously the black community is going to be highly upset, they're looking for an answer. They're looking for someone, some place to put their anger and angst to. I would start initially from the beginning, because when sin creeps in, when Satan comes into the garden and creeps in through Eve, don't don't forget that. Oh, but I haven't forgotten. It. That's why that. I'm in trouble. But then, <laughs> but then, but then I can't skip by Eve without the response that God gives. First question God asked, Adam, where were you? But then the second question that God asked when they talked about why they did what they did, the second question God asked is, who told you that? So everything that we're supposed to have and everything that we need, we're supposed to seek God for it. And all the evil and the consequences of evil that we face in this world, our anger goes to the devil. What the enemy tried to do with Eve and, and, and how we saw it play out, as soon as responsibility comes, what does she do? Well, it was the serpent. And as soon as it gets to Adam, well, what about you? Well, it was the woman you gave me. Nobody wanted to address the real issue and God had to do that. So with what we're looking at with Tyree Nichols and et cetera, Everybody's coming out. Well, it's black people. Well, it's white people. Well, it's white supremacy. Well, it's racism. Well, it's the system. Well, it's Republicans. Well, it's Democrats. I'm saying skip all of those conversations because they are only going to deal with systems. Let's go back to the root cause of this. And that is the enemy. If I present to them the gospel that's going to help you man to be a good man, even the, the passage that you gave in your monologue is another good jumping off place. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But in verse 25, Paul says, husbands, love your wives. How? Like Christ loves the church. We're right back to the gospel. So no matter what angle we take on this, we're coming with the gospel. So I would present you know, I would present that. I know I, I, I don't necessarily want to say I'm at a black church because Again, the gospel that I preach has no color to it. I understand that I relate to black culture and a lot of people. Okay, that's fine. But the gospel that Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge you before God, the living and the dead and the appearing of his kingdom to preach the word. So the gospel that I preach has to be applicable, not just to black people when they're mad at white supremacy. The gospel that I preach has to apply not just to white people because they're looking at the, it has to apply to every person on the planet, every situation. And it is the gospel that responds to every malady 
of man. So that's the answer to it, not any other system. Everything else that we see is a symptom of what evil has done in this world. Anthony said something, Virgil, I wanna ask you to, to bring you into the conversation we were having before you got here. He, he pointed out that, you know, Adam, when talking to God, said, well, it's the woman you gave me. Mm-hmm. And so I heard that as like, ooh, that's, that's, is that what I sound like? Is, that, is, is my critique a deflection? And we thought, well, them trifling women, you it ain't doing right. That, that's the problem. Am I making the same mistake as Adam? Yeah, I, I think I think there, I think there's a case that could be made there, uh, because at the end of the day, what, what did God do? God didn't go to Eve first. He went to Adam. And, and that was that was based upon the order of creation. Right. I've mentioned this before on, on the program. The order of creation was God, man, woman, and then created order. Right. And what happened at the fall in Genesis three, it, all, that whole order was was reversed. What you had was created order, Satan. Right. The serpent. Uh, instructing Eve, who then gave to Adam while all of them ignore God. And so that's that's what you have happening. And so, you, you know, Adam had a responsibility. He There was an order that was supposed to be followed and he absolutely abdicated that responsibility. And, 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 then, when, and, and then when the opportunity came for him to be accountable, he pointed to, well, it was the woman you gave me. And so I, I, I always say the, the argument there is, is the, the, the largest, you know, uh, game show uh, that ever that ever was created began at that point called the blame game. Right. They all wanted to play it. Uh, Eve said it was the serpent. Adam said it was the woman. Right. The, the, the serpent, the serpent's left out because he, he's got nowhere to go. There's no, no, nobody else below him to, to, to point to from a standpoint of response. But I, I love what Pastor Anthony said about about the sermon. I think you begin, like you said, and. In Genesis three, to, to first of all let people know that that what they saw in that video is is not is not uncommon to man. What what happened that took place in the garden? We actually see that play out in chapter four of Genesis with the brothers Cain and Abel. Right, chapter four, like the very next uh, chapter verse, we we look at two brothers who are, who are upset with one another. One you know serving God well, the other not, and and there's a murder that takes place right there in the book. And, and so we we, ha- we we get to see the impact of what sin actually creates uh, as a result of, of, of mankind not desiring to follow God. You could go you could flip to the New Testament, Romans chapter three, verse 23, and understand that that the that the wages of our sin is is death. And, and that death is, is not just a not just a, a, a dying once. It's now we're dead. We are actually the walking dead. There's no spiritual life within us that connects us or reconnects us back to God. We actually have to wait to hear the message of the gospel in order for our lives, our hearts, our, our spirit to be to reconnect back to its origin, back to God. So we, we understand that Romans 6, 23 tells us that 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 that, that, the, that uh, based, based, based upon the fact that we've, we've died to sin, we, we now uh, we, we're now all all dead. Right. All of us are dead as a result. The beauty of the scripture in Romans 6, 23, that, that, that tells us not only that the wages of sin are death, but that the free gift of God is eternal life. God's free gift for us is eternal life. And so we have that free gift if we would but repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, 
that we'd be saved. What does that do for us? That reconnects our hearts back to God. You mentioned Ephesians chapter five and verse 25, where it tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. If you go back to Ephesians, the very first chapter in chapter one, it tells us to be imitators of Christ. That's how the chapter actually starts. It tells us that we need to imitate Christ. The only way for us to be able to do that, the only way is for us to have our, our hearts, minds, lives transformed by the power of God, which is evident in the gospel. Let me say this and, 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 I'll, and I'll stop here. We have the tendency to believe that the message of the gospel is simply our get out of jail card. It, it's, our, it's our ticket to heaven. Now I got my ticket punched. I'm good. Well, the message of the gospel constantly reminds us that week after week, especially when I come to church, I go to church because I'm reminded week after week that I just lived a, 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 a week filled with, with sinfulness. M- maybe in my thoughts, maybe my actions, maybe, maybe with, uh, with a neighbor, with my brother. And that in, that in that setting where we're all gathered together, that I have the opportunity to once again be reminded of what Christ did for me, that I could repent once again of my sin, and that I could celebrate with great joy, knowing that my sin has been forgiven and my slate is clean. And now as a result, I can interact with my fellow man, with brother to brother, neighbor to neighbor, black, white, red, yellow, brown, in such a way that, that, that doesn't reflect what we saw a few nights ago with, with, with Tyree Nichols. If, if, if we could get back to that, Jason, if we could get back to the beauty of, of what was intended by the, by the, by the, uh, by the church, uh, us gathering together, being reminded of what Christ had done for us, if we can get back to connecting our hearts back to God through the message of the gospel, we would live very different lives than what we're seeing played out on display in video after video after video. The last thing I'll say on that is this. We, right now, the big call is for police, uh, uh, the, the police to, 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 to reorder, restructure the police. To, we've, got to, we've got to do police reform. That's the, that's the call. Here's the thing. I don't care what police reform you put into place. Apart from a transformed heart, those police officers are still going to be sinners. They're still going to be sinners. They, they don't. You don't put on a, a badge on your chest or 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 wear the wear, wear the blue uniform, and all of a sudden you're sinless. You, 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 what what we should be surprised is that we don't see more of what we saw with Tyree Nichols rather than less of it. And, and I know that's difficult. That's shocking for people to think. But the reality is, God, it, God, the power of God is also a restraining power. God's power is restraining the evil. So while what we saw was absolutely wicked and evil, apart from the message of the gospel, apart from the people of God gathering together, worshiping and, and, and presenting that gospel to others, we will be in a, an ever worsening condition as we watch our culture. Anthony, I'm going to give you the final say if you got one. No, Virgil, Virgil hit it. I'm over here shouting and saying amen and stuff, especially when he brought up chapter four, how the very first murder that took place uh, happens from a family that that at one time was really in good relationship with God. But when we turn from God and we turn to sin, murder and evil comes about. So we got to get back to the gospel. I know tensions are high, uh, but we got to go back to God. Let's talk to him about it. Let's follow his leadership. Be better men, better families, better children, better nation. All right, guys, I'm going to move on to Steve Kim, talk a little football with Steve, the Korean Cosell, talk a little. I'll let him sound off here a little bit on Tyree uh, Nichols because 
Korean Cosell's got an opinion on everything. But we'll talk a little football with Steve Kim, wrap up the show. Steve Kim, next. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring in the Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. You guys' favorite uh, contributor to the show, my least favorite contributor. That's why he's batting last today at the end of this marathon show. No one can bat clean up better than Steve Kim. Guess I'm contradicting myself. Steve. Let's start here. Uh, your thoughts on the controversy I've been embroiled in over <laughs> my take on Tyree Nichols. Oh, wow. You were the talk of the town on Friday and throughout the weekend. I mean, you had Ciara or whatever her name is. And then you had a Heisman Trophy winner and Reggie Bush simping for her. Um, I'm going to call you Black Al Gore because you tell the inconvenient truth. Uh, in an era when we like a beautiful dressed-up lie. Now, look, uh, I think that this has to be said. When the show was taped on Friday, when we all did our segments, the footage was not released, and maybe that would have given everyone a different context or a viewpoint on that situation in Memphis. But with that being said, I do have to ask all these people that are uh, so vociferous in their outrage against you, Do you truly believe, and I don't want to talk about anecdotal evidence or a singular shred or an anomaly. Do you believe that communities or cultures that largely have nuclear families are not better off than those who do? Uh, Not, let's just be honest about it. If I would put a gun to your head and I said, okay, you can live in a suburb where there's 99% nuclear families. And everyone has a white gated picket fence, the two kids and a dog, but both parents are home, good relationship. Or would you rather live in cities that don't have that? Let's just be honest. These people are not honest. And it's like, if you want to just keep using white supremacy as the default position on every single tragedy or incident that happens, that is just incredibly dishonest. And that's the thing that really got to me was I'm reading some of these uh, replies to you. And I'm thinking, you know, here's the thing that's really interesting, though, Jason. People are allowed to disagree. What I don't understand, and this, I think this is a byproduct of what social media has created. Everyone wants to be popular. Very few people want to be at least honest in terms of expressing their own opinions. Whether I agree or disagree with you or not, Jason, I respect this fully. You're willing to say it. You're willing to let it go. You don't go out there, gerrymand your opinion to say, God, I don't really want to say this, but uh, too many people. I mean, I see now, and, and this, I'm just going to relate it to this. I see so many NFL and sports personalities trying to say about that Bengals linebacker, I think it's Brandon Osai, who committed that just awful penalty that set up the game-winning field goal. They're on this pity party for him. Oh, my God. He's just a young kid, and... He just committed, he did, no one player, yeah, but his penalty was dumb. It was a dumb play, you're right. One player, one play does not cost you a game. That particular play was low football IQ. Why are you caping up for him? Scott Norwood did not get that treatment when he missed a field goal back in Tampa. You know, and that's the thing that's just Uh, maddening to me. So you've segued me over into football. Did you have a problem 
with the officiating in NFL games this weekend and in that Bengals-Chiefs game in particular where the roughing, the unnecessary roughness penalty basically decided that game? Uh, I want to put it to you like this. Ronald Torbert, the head referee, my understanding is I called some sources in Kansas City. At the beginning of next year, his name will be in that ring of honor right next to Christian Okoye, uh, Len Dawson, Carlos Carlson, and, of course, your guy, Derek Thomas. There's going to be a special <laughs> ceremony. Andy Reid didn't think it was appropriate to give him a game ball. Uh, but the Kansas City Chiefs are going to honor uh, his his contribution. But with that said, look, I didn't like some of the calls. You know what I really didn't like, though? And I'm going to go I think the play calling of Zach Taylor and the Bengals is just a suspect. Before you point the finger, you better you pull the thumb. Jason, on the second to last drive, 2020, Bengals have the ball. They're kind of sort of near midfield. Mixon rips off a seven-yard run, and I'm thinking, you know what? It's second and three. Uh, there's about seven minutes to go, and I'm thinking, you know what? Now you can start chipping away. I thought there came a point in time where Mixon had to be more involved. He's such an underrated guy because of all the fireworks outside. They throw two deep passes, uh, and one of them, which was then picked off. I said, I, I get that. The other one, on the last drive, Jason, I kept thinking to myself, after they converted that third and 16, when they're out near the 35 or 40, I felt you got to run the ball once. I think a draw play where really caught those cheap defenders going upfield because you knew that they were in a pass rush mentality or a mode but the problem is if you pass the ball and you keep playing incompletions um you are stopping the clock and they didn't run off enough clock after last year's buffalo game where 13 seconds is all mahomes needed you better be mindful in a situation like that if we we can't let patrick mahomes have any time to realistically do anything but with that said Jason, I thought the officiating yesterday was highly suspect. Forget that call on Osai. I actually think that was a good call. I have no problems with that call. That was low situational football awareness. You, you know, Holmes, he doesn't call those referees referees. He calls them the Secret Service. They were protecting him. And you know when he's veering out of bounds, the way the game is called now, I've seen this. If a quarterback is near the sideline, he doesn't even have to be out of bounds. If you hit him hard enough, they will call it a late hit or unnecessary roughness. I've seen it. But that punt return that set them up, Jason, there was an obvious clip on that gunner near the Bengals sideline. There was one particular holding call that was missed, and I was like, ooh. Then you had that fifth down situation, which thankfully the Bengals did not uh, bend. They actually held, and that would have been a huge thing. I am not one of these conspiracy theorists, but Jason, I will say this. That was a poor officiated game as I've seen in a big playoff game in years. And finally, Steve, and we got to be a little quick here. Yeah. I know that you uh, are overwhelmed with emotion and understand the significance of one and a half black quarterbacks uh, meeting <laughs> in the Super Bowl, uh, do you uh, find it significant that significant that 75% of the quarterback play will be black in the Super Bowl? Well, I didn't even – it was so significant to me, I didn't even realize it until Hadley sent our, our uh, show email 
talking about it, and I said, oh, okay. I, I, I don't understand. You know what would really be a landmark in 2023, guys, would be if we had a white cornerback or an Asian running back starting in a Super Bowl. Now, that would be a landmark achievement in 2023. But with the way the game is played now, there are more and more black quarterbacks. They're opening up the offense. Uh, I think this will be more or less the norm. And I will give Patrick Mahomes credit. His first four or five years, Jason, his level of winning consistently, uh, I think is almost unmatched. But there's going to be a lot of pressure to win it. And early prediction, Jason, based on what I saw, uh, we could talk about this later. But on the front lines, out of the two games that I saw, by far the most dominant team was the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, you're dead wrong about that. We will talk about that later. What? Oh, there there you go with the KC homer. You're being a homer, Jason. No. (laughs) Brock Purdy got hurt, and they played the Giants the week before. The Eagles haven't proven anything. They got a great offensive line. They got a great offensive line, but but nobody's put Jalen Hurts to the full test yet. So Brock Purdy's now Joe Montana 2.0. Now now it's Brock Purdy, not Mr. Irrelevant. It's it's, it's Steve, right-handed Steve Young. Right? Look, <laughs> I believe that the Eagles on both sides of the ball are just dominant. And look, is Jalen Hurts the arm talent or the pass for Mahomes is no. But that plus one running game and the way they set things up in terms of play action, Hurts doesn't have to do that much in terms of the downfield passing game. And remember what happened the last Super Bowl the Chiefs were in? They could not keep the Buccaneers off Mahomes. I could see a similar situation happening in two weeks, Jason. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. We'll holler at you tomorrow. Let's uh, play some tomorrow. We'll see. I hope you enjoyed this marathon show. I don't know how long we went today, but we went a long time. Hope you enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Standing in line for freedom Looking for a breakout Feeling like a standoff Nothing in life like freedom Came like a fighter Striking like a ladder Making all this moves for freedom I want freedom No negotiation, my sister No relation, we all just want to have freedom Sitting on a corner Never been alone I'm breaking my back for freedom we are receiving all the season. We all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want.